is correct. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Moments of Truth, the show about my favorite moments from my favorite things. I'm Bill Coffin, and today we'll be discussing one of our favorite genres of cinema, sports movies. As the 2014 World Cup concluded, sports writer Brian Phillips wrote a magnificent column for Grantland about what were, for him, his moments of truth from the recently concluded tournament. And as he opened his column, he had this to say about what sports offers to those in the audience. He said, watching sports is, among other things, a special way of experiencing time. Sport is like music or fiction or film in that for predetermined duration, it asks you to give it control over your emotions, to feel what it makes you feel. Unlike most forms of art, though, a game has no preordained plan or plot or intention. The rules of a game impose a certain kind of order, but it's different from the order of an artwork. A movie knows where it wants to take you. No one can say in advance where a game will go. All of its beauty, ugliness, boredom, and excitement, all of its rage and sadness emerge spontaneously out of the player's competing desires to win. For however long the clock runs, your feelings are at the mercy of chance. This happens, and then this happens, and then this happens. You're experiencing, in a contained and intensified way, something like the everyday movement of life. So true. The inherent drama within sports is something very difficult for a predetermined narrative to capture faithfully, which is why sports writing often can be so cringe-inducing, as authors struggle to manufacture drama where none really exists, or try to transcend the power of a moment through secondhand observation. In some ways, sports is best left observed but undescribed, lest we showcase what is so indescribable about it. And this is where and why sports movies are such an interesting thing, because they attempt something that kind of feels impossible, to distill the most compelling moments of sport into a pure, even more concentrated version of itself. Which is why the stuff we love about sports and sports movies are so often the same. The struggle of an underdog, the presence of a truly uniting adversary, the shedding of inadequacy, the lure of the impossible, the thrill of victory, and the agony of defeat. What so excites us when we watch sports can so easily become trite, predictable, and cliched, especially when presented in the form of a story. Angelo Pizzo, who wrote Hoosiers and Rudy, two of the most beloved sports movies of all time, said in a 2020 interview with the Spokane Spokesman Review that, quote, the challenge of writing a sports film is like driving down a road full of potholes and cliches. You're bound to hit some. You just have to build a vehicle that has a bulletproof shock absorber so that they're not noticed. And that is where our best sports movies truly shine, getting us to not only suspend our disbelief, but to reject our cynicism as well. Many try, but few succeed. And the ones that do are indeed champions in their own right. So I'm excited to talk about our favorite sports movies today, and just let's get into it. With me today is Chris the Crippler Crenshaw. I got you for three minutes. Playtime. Oh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Tom Hacksaw Hespos. Got my curveball breaking 10 feet. Oh, yeah. And finally, bringing up, bringing up the rear, Jolton Joe Pace. Boys and I are getting to know each other, see who we are and what we can be. I, so far, I like what I've seen. <laughs> Everyone, welcome. Now, before we begin, we should let you know that we're not picking any sports documentaries tonight since they're really kind of a class of their own. And we also acknowledge that the line between what is a game and what is a sport can get a little blurry. So we hope that you'll bear with us as we, as we make our picks tonight. But tonight is a Thunder Round episode. So we're going to go through 
this is obviously not a best of list. This is a our favorites list. And so let's get this started. So Tom, round one. Tom, kick us off. What is one of your favorite sports movies? Talk us through it real quick. What's your moment of truth from it? I got a pretty unconventional first favorite pick. If you know me well, you know that I actually love love it when movies skewer sports culture. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. A little movie uh, came out in 99 from MTV films called Varsity Blues. Um, <laughs> and, and I love this movie because it's got a, a, like a trope of a plot football team that takes itself way too seriously, like a high school in Texas the star player breaks his leg and they got to call in the backup guy. And it like, that is the plot of, I can't tell you how many football movies, like any given Sunday, Friday night lights. Like there, there's so many yeah. of that plot, but I think this is one, subtitled Dawson's fleek. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Vanderbeek, that's totally fine. But uh, <laughs> you know what? I think he did a really good job of convincing job playing, you know, the, Just the cherry on top of the whipped cream really wants none of this culture. And he's reading Vonnegut, you know, behind his playbook at the beginning yeah. of the movie, just the obvious, like, you know, guy just wants to do this because so he can get into Brown, you know, or whatever. It's, it's a terrific movie because, you know, you, you get to see how, a kid who is called up and like he was having none of this, you know, sports culture. And then all of a sudden, like the entire town revolves, you know, just sort of reorients itself such that like the currency being traded is everybody's proximity to him all of a sudden. Yeah. And like, how's he going to handle it? Is he going to, you know, is he going to just roll with it and be the popular guy and take all the stuff that comes with that and perpetuate the culture? Or is he, you know, going to, do all the stuff that he said he was going to do in the beginning of the movie and stick it to the man and like get rid of this, you know, toxic sports culture. And it turns out like, you know, he goes, he gets rid of the toxic coach, which is, you know, my moment of truth in the whole movie. It's always good to see John Voigt hoist on his baton, oh, right? Joy, I mean, that, that's always oh, the perfect is. guy to deliver that to. And they did it in such a perfect way. Like there's this just great moment where John Voigt playing the coach who's coach these players and their dads and is like that ingrained in the town's culture and all his players basically tell him they're not going out for the second half with him he's been excommunicated essentially from the team Dang. and there's this moment where he tries to like take the team out anyway and it just becomes clear that he has no power whatsoever anymore yeah. like the team has allied itself against him and taken all his power away and just discarded him and it is one of like the saddest and 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 uh, like just moments of truth yeah. in that movie that just shone for me and i just i absolutely love this film for that I, oh. I absolutely love it for it It was such a great moment i love the suspension of disbelief you get with varsity blues right i mean first of all you get dawson as a as a quarterback and then you get these players these high school players rejecting their coach which that never coaches are way too powerful right like that never <laughs> happens and the fact that they do that and you have this mutiny is so satisfying and then you also get vanderbeek slash dawson rejecting ali larder in a whipped cream bikini like Let's let's take our suspension of disbelief. Yeah, away. sure. Why not? <laughs> He's also he a monk. Cool Look at that. Girlfriend, Amy Smart, you know, who's just constantly calling him on all his BS. You know, it's great. Yeah, you're 17, not buying it. Right. 
so Varsity Blues is on my short list to watch this week, and I quickly realized that my short list was like 30 movies long, so I never got to it. It's not a but short list. It really, really isn't. No, my my once again, my reach exceeds my grasp when it concerns like the movies I take in. But on that though, uh, Tom, I'm definitely gonna have to watch this like Check immediately. It out. Yeah, it's it's, it's more to just, watch. Yeah, it, look, look, it looks like it's, it's fun. Well, because this sounds like it's hitting that MTV Films vibe. It's funny because like a lot of the football movies that you know we think are top football movies came out after it. Like it doesn't feel yeah. that way in retrospect, but like this is kind yeah. of like one of the movies where that trope came from. And and yeah. you know there were yeah. a lot that duplicated it and definitely got better reviews later. But uh, this yeah. is the one I love. <laughs> love it, love it. All right, round one, Chris. What have you got for us? I've got victory for you. Or if if oh. you, if, if you're in England. If you're in England, it's Escape to Victory. Either way, fairly spoilery title, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> kind of gives it away. <laughs> what are we getting out of this film? No. <laughs> so, no, 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 no one in Australia as the Allies win and get away at the same time, you know? <laughs> right? <laughs> this, this movie's uh, a cross between The Great Escape and The Longest Yard. Um, yeah. Knows. It's yeah. a, a World yeah, War II Nazi prison escape slash sports movie. And as you know, well, all of you guys, uh, I love any movie with the French resistance in it, right? La Trine! <laughs> La Trine! <laughs> so so uh, this movie stars Michael Van Sydow Cida, as a German propaganda slash intelligence officer. He uh, is visiting a POW camp with allied prisoners because somebody was shot this morning in an escape attempt he comes in with like a, a, a swiss red cross observer so this is like a, a legit prison camp right he sees michael kane coaching like groups of players you know on, on the soccer pitch and he's like wow you're really good and recognizes him as a former professional and comes up with the idea hey you know what you prisoners should play us play like a, a team from the local military uh base and just a friendly, you know, just for morale. Mm. Michael Caine's like, well, who's morale here? Yeah. <laughs> Yours are ours. Max von Sydow's idea gets taken up by the German high command. They're like, yeah, we're doing this. They decide to play a game in Paris of these prisoners against the actual German national team, who, who of course, have been getting really good nutrition training yeah right throughout the war right <laughs> they're not uh they're not in a prison camp the movies are this is really kind of fun pastiche of training montages and intrigue sylvester stallone long, i think plays... the original subtitle was the longest meter right is, is, is <laughs> maybe the meter. um sylvester stallone plays an america commando officer who's like really working hard to escape from prison he joins the team as the trainer because he Turns out kind of sucks at soccer as an American. But Michael Caine's character, Colby, is actually given a list of professional football players who are in POW camps in Nazi Germany right now. And he's got his choice of them. So this is what elevates the film to me. It's my moment of truth. He says, look, there's these Eastern European players here. We want them. And and the Germans are like, oh, no, no, because... The Nazis did not treat Eastern European prisoners of war as prisoners of war. They put them in concentration camps. Right. In order to get their propaganda, the propaganda coup they're looking for, the Nazis allow it. So, like, the moment where these guys show up at the training camp that they built, I mean, they're just like skeletons. They look like they've come out of Dachau or yeah. or someplace, and and it changes 
the tone of the movie from you know this is just like a sports thing and it's meaningless to like well crap now we have to play because if we don't these people are just going to be sent back right, like, right these eastern european players like they're eating all the good food now and everything but they're so reduced that they're never actually able to play soccer in this movie it's it's horrifying and 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 the fact that you know this random sylvester stallone vehicle brought up this you know for this american anyway little you know, unknown nazi war crime kind of yeah. elevates it a little bit i think i yeah. think it's neat yeah anyway it's a really it's it's a fun movie uh it, in addition to michael kane max von Stiel, and stallone it stars a bunch of mostly english 70s character actors and 18 mostly aging professional soccer players including three world cup winners Pele, the great Pele, <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, England's Bobby Moore, all hail, and all hail, hail, and Ozzy Ardiles, an Argentinian <laughs> who went on to manage Newcastle United at one point, Cheers. plus a number of other uh, internationals. And oh, and Werner Roth, the the guy who plays the German captain of the of the soccer team, he he actually has 15 United States caps. No kidding. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. That's um, the, the movie was yeah. a, originally slated to star Lloyd Bridges and Clint Eastwood. <laughs> it's unclear in what roles, um, because I've also <laughs> read that Roger Moore almost took Michael Caine's part. It was directed by John Houston, of all people. There are going to be a lot more gadgets yeah. if Roger Moore was involved. Right. Yeah, he just wanted to seduce Max von Sydow. Just go out and buy <laughs> so so i mean like it was yeah. houston said that he hated this movie and only directed it for the money stallone took the role because he wanted to work with houston kane yeah. took his role because it let him hang out with pele so it's kind of like the whole movie was made on a dare yeah right kane will take just about any role so let's <laughs> yeah, not let's yeah, not yeah. Yeah. Well, there's, there's that kane yeah. Yeah. Kane, he, yeah. he doesn't he doesn't really have this a, congeniality a lower... too comes to mind but uh, <laughs> I, I i think this is interesting this was Stallone's 1981. Now this is Stallone's fourth sports movie. Yeah, and the first of five prison movies. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He's done. A, he's done a lot of prison movies. Bar none. <laughs> Bar none. Ha ha. So I love this flick. It's it's really a lot of fun. The soccer movie. match at the end is just riveting. And it's kind of like the forgotten Stallone movie. It's kind of often brought up as a Stallone vehicle, but most people remember it not for Stallone. They remember it for just the whole the whole thing, the whole ensemble. It's just an unusual kind of thing, and it like it just looks really good. Like the 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 cinematography of it is oh, yeah. really quite awesome. And it's funny how in this day and age, when you look at films or you look at you know, movies in the era, and they're all in the film stock and all that, like. It just there's something about this movie that looks great on like grainy film stock. It just looks, yeah. really looks good, like that grainy. It looks really like a '70s it. film, you know. It, yeah, it did, really. but it, but like, and I usually hate that look, but here it really looks. It looks right, you know, and it just it just serves the the purpose of the narrative. I think. If we go 50 rounds tonight, then we'll get to over the top and talk about more stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> wrestling is, is mountain climbing sport. a sport? <laughs> <It's> oh. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, Bill, though you're right in that it's not exactly a Stallone vehicle because yeah. Von Sydow is really the heart of the movie, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, m m you know, Stallone actually did kind of work hard on it. He was no, no, trained. He, he yeah. was trained by a uh, in former English uh, World Cup winning goalkeeper Gordon Banks yeah. while he was filming Nighthawks. He lost forty pounds for the role. 
separated a shoulder while filming and broke a finger trying to save a Pele shot, which God, I really wish I could say. That's a that's I, a trophy worth having. Honestly, right? see this so, finger is all janked up. Pele broke this. <laughs> You're welcome. Give Stallone, <laughs> Stallone catches a lot of grief, but he actually, early, especially early in his career, was yeah. very devoted. He worked to the his class. ass off. He really, no, 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 he's a hardworking guy. No, for real. I've actually, uh, he's made a lot of regrettable movies, but I've always enjoyed watching him work, and I really appreciate his ethic. And I, yeah, yeah, you know exactly. I mean, like, so, bring me uh, anybody, bring me Hanks yeah. or crew, you know, any yeah. of these big stars. Yeah, for you, sure. there's one more thing I want to say about this movie. Right on. That I think is really cool. They get a lot of stuff right, like historically. Yeah. During the soccer game, when the German national anthem plays, the SS people give the Sieg Heil. While because this is 1943 before Sig Heil was had to be everywhere, the Wehrmacht, the actual army people, saluted. And interesting, yeah. Like like what a thing to get correct, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it it was really it really struck me. I actually went and looked up, you know, like yeah, like why why do they do that? Yeah, it was really neat. Um, very cool, fantastic movie. Yeah, no, no, Chris, I'm glad you picked it. Victor's a Hugely awesome movie. Really, really dig it. And uh, certainly not the first of soccer movies that will be talked about tonight. Sorry, Joe. Anyway, <laughs> with that in mind, Joe Pace, round one, over to you. What have you got for us? Yeah, I'm going to talk about what I, and I am not alone, uh, consider to be the greatest sports movie ever made, which which is Hoosiers. And <laughs> it's funny because in a lot of ways, it's it's very formulaic. It, 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 is, it is very much right down the fairway of what sports movies ask. Take the underdogs with the you know the gritty coach on a second chance who gathers these players together and yeah. and pulls them into this you know this this unbeatable team and, and ends up winning the title and and, and so you know what's going to happen from the first reel there, there's such tropes involved that you either have to hit them perfectly yeah. or intentionally set them on their head sure. and what Hoosiers does is it I, I believe that it nails the tropes better than any other any other sports movie ever ever does this is a movie that does it so well that the denouement is white guys beating black guys in the 50s and you're rooting for the white guys that's yeah, how seriously. well this movie puts itself together i, I will tell you i i rewatched it recently and what was really going through my head is i will bet you a thousand dollars that hickory indiana is a sundown town there is a big racism thing going on here that the movie just decides they're just not going to talk about. It doesn't even acknowledge, you know? yeah. Hand waves it. it. There's a lot of hand waves. Hand waves it, but it, it, I don't even think it bothers I, waving its hand. It's well, but like, I will yeah. say this. The only reason that I credit it with hand waving is that at the end, yeah. at the very end of it, you have some moments of like grudging respect that happen between the black and white players on the court. Yeah, yeah. That's, sure. that's the only thing that I think yeah. rescues it from... <laughs> Being, being problematic in some ways. But what I love about Hoosiers is Gene Hackman is phenomenal. He, he, is, he is absolutely phenomenal. Dennis Hopper is. is phenomenal. He is. Yeah. Um, it, it originates this concept. Not originates because you got it in Caddyshack. This concept, what sports movies, the, the wet blanket girlfriend is, is such a trope. <laughs> and Barbara Hershey inhabits it so beautifully in this film. It's almost like she's going to dance uh, on a green claiming that she's not pregnant anymore. Um, <laughs> but and- you know what though, I gotta say, Barbara Hirsch's character though, she wasn't wrong about anything she had to say. I mean, like, 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 like she was she actually wasn't she wasn't wrong about protecting Jimmy. She wasn't wrong yeah. about the nature of the culture in in Hickory. Yeah. She was wrong about uh, about the coach. 
she was wrong. Uh, that is that. Okay. That's a very good point. Yeah. 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 For sure. I love it as a coach. I've coached for many, many, many seasons in lots mm. of different sports. And what I love about it is the way that Gene Hackman's character takes these kids and breaks them down, unlearns them and relearns them. Like th these are kids who have been basketball players from the cradle. He, he comes in and he goes, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to un unlearn a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And, and in coaching, that's the hardest thing you have to do, right? When you have kids who, who think they know how to do it. I, I have very vivid memories of coaching in Maryland. I had a 12 year old basketball player, this wonderful kid named miles who, who thought he knew how to play basketball. And, and he had this, this weird hitch in his free throw. And I came to him and I said, Miles, what you doing, man? And he goes, this is how I shoot him, coach. And I said, you're 12. You don't do anything yet. And I had to break him down before <laughs> I could reteach him how to do it the right good way. Line. <laughs> and and these, so all of these kids, and I love the scene where he comes in and there are the dads kind of interim oh coaching God. the team a little bit. The and he's like, yeah, get out. Them. <laughs> you're done. You're done. Oh, yeah. by the way, your kids are done. Get out yeah. of here. I don't need, I don't need all the, all the garbage. But that's not my moment of truth. My moment of truth in this film comes when he is down to, to four players, including Ollie, his, his player manager. And he has a kid on the bench mm. who mouthed off and was a problem. Yep, 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 yep. And he should put him in and go with five. And the referee comes over and he's like, coach, I need one more. And he looks out and he goes, no, my team is on, my team is on the floor. Yeah. My team, the team that that buys into what I'm selling and the team that buys into how to do it the right way is on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. And there's this message that goes out, which is no player is bigger and greater than the team. Yeah. And by the way, that's when Jimmy Chitwood, the amazing yep. player, sees that and he goes, I can play for this guy. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, it's a real right. pivotal moment. So one. so there's there's a lot of moments of truth. I mean, yeah. the tape measure. This is a 10 foot rim, just like our rims back at Hickory. There's a lot of beautiful stuff yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. that happens. I love this movie because it nails every sports movie trope. I mean, right down the middle and, and it gets it right. And the last 10 minutes of this movie bring me to tears every time I watch it, even though I know exactly what's happening. It's a great score. Yeah. But it's just, it's a, it's a beautiful film. And I, I think it's one of the most deftly created sports movies out there i think the best compliment i can give to hoosiers is that i love this movie even though i loathe the sport of basketball and my loathing basketball has gotten i'd like to think it's got nothing to do with the fact that i literally once literally once missed the broadside of a barn okay so i can't throw at all i have no hope <laughs> so, I just, so i just i just can't i i all fairness, I just can't understand basketball because I'm hopeless at it, and so I don't understand what makes it great for so many people. Never really enjoyed watching it, honestly, but Hoosier is just like, as an outsider, it sort of drew me in, and I thought the dramas of what was going on there in terms of like the small-town devotion to it, Gene Hackman at the guy at the end of his rope, uh, Jimmy Chitwood. I think that, for me, the thing kind of hinges on Jimmy about how he gets he's a kid who's grieving. He's mourning the loss of the previous coach, and not because it's a, it's a way of – orthodoxy for the team because this coach is like his dad this kid's really hurting and there's nobody there who, i mean he's kind probably of on the spectrum from what i can tell and he knows people are constantly trying to tug on his shoulder because they want something from him and the way gene hackman is like i don't care if you play or not a set a, a set of expectations and i just love how the movie hinges upon that and, and the, the great thing when they try to vote out the coach in this in that, typical by the way, Bill, <laughs> you're talking to a guy now that has been in <laughs> dozens of small town political gatherings where people think that they're a lynch mob and yeah. that one one true voice can turn it 
Yeah. 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 And, that, that, and that, that, so that's my moment of truth. Is he shows up. He's like, I play the coach stays. And because uh, he's been very quietly observing. And I just love how he comes in and he uses his influence to maximum effect and not in a way it's really self-serving. He's just, he's trying to, to, to make, make a, make a point about something. And that absolute jerk of the former trainers in the back who plays the relief pitcher in major league, by the way, <laughs> he's like that big, that big doofy guy looks like a human version of Olaf, the snowman. He's like, Oh, we're going to get rid of him, You know, but, but it's still like that whole scene just turns. So it's, <laughs> it turns so well, it turns out so well. No, I, I hear you, Joe. I really, I enjoy Hoosiers. I think it ages a lot better than I thought it would. I I went back to it and watched it again. I expected to kind of, temper my expectations but it actually i really i really quite liked it i I think in part because sports period move sports period movies tend to hold up better than sports that are set in the the moment which they're shot you know so my feeling about hoosiers i I actually have never liked this movie very much i I admire victory sucks too no no that's fine (laughs) like like no 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 it's not a great movie yeah it's possible to not like something but to admire it and chris this is is empirically a better movie than victory i i still don't love it i mean because as we kind of discussed i mean even in the 80s it feels a little culturally disingenuous to you know focus a movie about basketball on white people the frequent portrayal of prayer in school makes me uncomfortable it mm. just does <laughs> um hatman and hopper are really fantastic i think what would have really elevated this movie for me is hatman not being so right you know the beautiful thing chris i'll say is that hackman comes by his rectitude from a lifetime of having done some things wrong Right. Yeah. Fair. You know what I mean? That's like fair. he's got a history. He, of, he, it, it, it's a good character. I. I don't. I. I have no. I'm not trying to. I, I do not want to knock this movie down because it doesn't yeah. deserve it. It, it. It's a fantastic movie. It's got a sort of earnestness that is alien to me. Yeah. There's a gritty reality to it, like the scenes of Hopper, like wandering yeah, Hopper drunk in particular. through his, yeah. through his wilderness of his, of his, of his. Hopper property. got an Oscar nomination for his role in this movie, by and the way. he should have. Of course, yeah, of course he did. Phenomenal. He was, he was great. You know, but, but but at the end when he's like up on his bed cheering, he's like yeah, like I just I love just one. Yeah, he loves his just, son, even though he's a drunk and a mess. I love that they they fold that character in. I think that I think that also kind of helped elevate Hoosiers for me a little bit, which is that you know yeah, Hack, Hack, Hackman's character saw in him not just a helpful ally in his coaching regimen, but also a guy who needed a second chance. And he his character acutely understood the power of second chances and was willing to give one to somebody else. And I I, I just love that. And even though we see Hopper's character relapse and all that, like he, you know, showing that the road to recovery is not an easy one, Hackman understands that. Hackman's character, I mean, understands that. And I love that he he dealt him in, and the way the town reacted to that, and the way he responded to it, I thought it added a real human element to the story. And I really, I really loved, I really loved that part of it. And that's like Hoosier is one of those things. Like it's just a collection of great pieces that come together in a really unusual way. And I really, I, I get why it's at the top of so many best sports movie ever lists. Like it, like when you look at a lot of them. Hoosiers is always in the top three, if it's not at the top, at the very tippy top of the list. It's just, it's always in that top range, and I and I get why. Moving on to uh, to my entry for for round one, I'm going to bring up uh, the 1976 Little League opus, the bad <laughs> the bad news bears. 
starring Walter Matthau. I thought I was uh, going to do this. Yeah, uh, just Good. a ton of small kids. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> this is why we have extras, man. Anything we do, but gets and and a movie and and Tatum O'Neill. And I'll tell you right now, this movie is a great example. I had the Mandela effect on this movie for my whole life. I thought Jodie Foster was was in this movie, not Tatum oh, O'Neill. Wow. I, I until I rewatched it, my like, good gravy. I didn't realize. For those of you who haven't seen it, The Bad News Bears is a story of uh, this guy. Basically, it's this competitive uh, little league, you know, baseball little league uh, division in California. And uh, essentially, this guy who's, like, well-connected gets another team added to the roster. He hires this guy to, to create a team so his boy can play. And the guy he hires is played by Walter Matthau, who's this absolutely broken down drunk, uh, who's just, I mean, this guy looks like he's been living hard. You know, he's driving around with a cooler beer in the back of his car. He's got his pool cleaning supplies and an open trunk with no door in it because the car lost the trunk door. He's just a guy's a hot mess. He just pulls together this complete ragtag team of kids who all completely suck at baseball, right? This rogues gallery of 1970s tropes of wayward children, right? These are free range children. Nearly feral children. Um, But, and I will say to that point, if you watch it, okay, a lot of this movie trades on the whole thing that made Betty White's second career so big, which is basically there's nothing quite as, as successful as unexpected rude humor. So a lot of this movie trades on a lot of little kids whoa, speaking whoa. very profanely the entire oh, movie. Yeah. And there are so, there's one character in particular. He's dropping, like, racial epithets with a plum. I forgot about that when I was rewatching it. Me too. Again. I'm like, oh, boy. So it's problematic right off the bat, okay? I mean, hardcore problematic. There are hard R's dropped in this movie. Not cool, okay? The other thing, though, and what I thought was what compelled me as an adult who has kids who watch them go through children's leagues, too, is the role of adults in coaching their kids. And this is a movie in the mid-'70s. It's really before the real serious advent of the latchkey kid. So anybody who listened to our free-range childhood episode, this is right before the free-range era kicked in. I don't know. I think these kids were as free-range as we were. No, these kids were free-range, but I mean, but you look at them, though, and I mean, they're the advanced recon scouting squadrons of the (laughs) free-range cohort, right? I mean, it's a funny movie. You're watching these kids. They're just a complete mess. They're trying to learn how to do baseball. There is straight-up child abuse in this movie. Like, they're, they're adult characters yeah. who just, like, take stuff out on the kids that is simply out of bounds. It is The not... sport is not baseball. The sport is child abuse. The sport is child abuse, yeah. <laughs> Sandlot I, 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 does the same thing. I think this is actually a little bit more overt. Sandlot's a little bit more psychological, I think, or just more fear-based. This is just simply like, yeah, I'm going to freak out and scream in your face, and then I'm going to punctuate it by throwing a beer in your face, kid. Blam. You know, <laughs> what the hell? Right? It's, it's, it's intense, right? Like, what the hell? Um that's yeah, some of the I, things adults say to kids in this movie, for real, Bill. I, I, They're no, really kind of stunning to watch now. Not to normalize or to say that sort of thing is okay, but I will say it reminded me very much of my own Little League experience, which is actually shockingly close to the, the, the Bad News Bears. Not in the sense that we had a raging alcoholic for a coach, but my team was the, the Red Sox in Palmer Township, and it was one of those things like the first year we got together, we were the bottom of the league. We couldn't do anything. We had no clue what was going on. And then and a year later, we all grew up just enough to figure things out, same team, and we won the championships, and we beat the Yankees. And, and, and that was, like, the big thing. But there was in it, I saw a lot of the things that were in the Bad News Bears. Like, I saw, you know, a coach who really seriously wanted to make sure his kid was on a track to, to true athletic greatness and leaned on him hard, harder than he should have. Parents losing their marbles at their kids and 
murdering on the spot that kid's love for a game that could have sustained them well into into adulthood. It tries to, oh, Vic Morrow, he plays the Yankees coach. And at one point, he flips out of this kid who basically doesn't obey his orders on the mound, and he yeah. strikes his kid on the field. He's like, what? Wham! He hits his kid. And you're like, what? The whole scene just kind of stops, you know? And you see the kid just like, basically rebel against his father and then walk off and essentially leave baseball forever. And his mom takes him in. And you're like, you know, divorce proceedings are probably going to follow from this. Yep. Um, it, it, you know, it, you know, it's all the, and then Walter Matthau learns how to ratchet back his own rage and just tells the kid, you know what? Forget it, guys. Just, just play your game. And just, you know, and, and, and it's, it's, you will never see more jubilant second place in, in, in a sports movie than in the Bad News Bears, right? When they literally take the throw the trophy, say up yours, and throw it back to the people who gave it to them. I mean, it, it is like defiant middle finger 1970s America to a T, right? And it's just, it, it, it's kind of cool to see it. It's not a movie that sustains me all the time, but going back to periodically, I'm like, yeah, like that, that whole scene was a thing. And I remember it quite clearly, and it was in some ways formative and in ways I'm not quite sure how, but it definitely made an impact. You just wait till next year, you know, it's like, <laughs> it just shows that like, they're going to go on enjoying the game and yeah, you know, the Yankees right? that won, you know, they're, it's forever ruined for them. And like, Bill, I hear exactly what you're saying. Cause I, I had almost a replay of that mound moment in one of my little league games and it literally ruined the kid for life. I'm convinced that was the thing. Yeah. That yeah. just ruined him. Like, and, and you can very easily do that to kids. I still see it every weekend at my kids' soccer games, you know, like parents just getting way too involved and, and just ruining the love for a sport, not to mention teaching yeah. their kids, you know, all sorts yeah. of disrespect. But uh, yeah, yeah, that hits very, very close to home. And I, I rewatched this one recently too. And that 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 scene's actually pretty tough to watch for me. Pretty yeah. tough to watch. And parents, to those of you who have kids in, in children's leagues, I will just offer this. And this is some, and I say this as somebody who's never like I've never gone the hard road that Joe that you've gone down and actually coached a team, right? Which I think is really freaking cool that you've done, by the way. I salute you for that. Before sport becomes a sport, it's first a game. With a lot of coaches, especially for when they're when they're on the younger side of things, your first love or your first duty is to make sure that these kids learn how and why to love this thing and see if it's for them, you know, and then they can take it, take it forward. And I remember my, my wife coached, um, they called it bumblebee soccer. These kids were six years old, you know, and she was like, the training was like, okay, we're gonna do these games. And they were not training drills, right? They're just these games, like, right, we're gonna play this game called Death Star. We all sit in a circle and kick the ball back and forth. And a lot, there are a lot of parents like, what are you doing? It was almost like Hoosiers, like people were like gathering in force, like, what are you doing? My kid's not gonna make the World right, Cup playing like this. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Practice is closed. My, um, my five-year-old is not going to make the roster at high yeah, school. Yeah, 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 yeah ex exactly. Right. And there was a lot of that. And she's like, guys, like they're six years old. I, I, they are just learning how to play the game and they will love it. And I trust you. They're going to have fun. And, and you know what? They really, really did. And it's like there's something to be said for making sure the kids have fun first before they focus on performance. I got to tell you, Bill, every every level I've ever coached, whether it was a, a you know five-year-old t-ball or a high school you know, track and field and soccer and basketball and other things I've coached, after any game or meet or whatever it is, the first question I bring the guy, I bring everyone together and say, everybody have a good time? Yes. Right? Like that's the first question. And if you're not having a good time, let's have a separate conversation. You know I mean? like, let, let's talk about except for losing coach field, every single time. <laughs> I'm like, Thomas, Jack, did you have fun? Yeah. yeah I, I don't care if it was a yeah. winner or a loss, you know, like the day yeah. that they tell me they don't like it anymore. Like they, we're doing yeah. something else. Yeah. It's okay yeah. to be down because you lost. Really. That's yeah, cool. Yeah. I get it. Right. Yeah. But like, yeah, yeah. No, 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 it is. When I haven't coached and my kids have played 
the first thing I say to them off the field is, God, I love watching you play. Mm-hmm. I, I love watching you yeah. play. Because, like, look at the root of that word. It's play, right? It's play. Yeah. This is not war. This is not business. This, this is play. Mm-hmm. And coaches, especially youth coaches, that needs to be a, a constant, constant guiding yeah. star that this is supposed to be fun for these kids yeah. and not it's supposed to be developmental it's supposed to be instructional it's supposed to be recreational and nothing about it is for your ego as a coach because if that's your deal you can go do something else with your time or but as anyway. a kid living vicariously or parent living vicariously through your those kid. are the worst yeah, that's those the worst, worst. <laughs> let me ask when did you guys first encounter this movie about how old were you i was not that much older than the kids who were actually in the movie so this movie came out in 76. I probably saw it around 70, probably within two or three years of it coming out. Um, I saw it VHS after VHS, yeah. so it was probably 85. Yeah. So yeah. maybe I might yeah. have been eight or nine. And, and, and I remember there's a lot of like, oh, kids are swearing this. And I remember <laughs> thinking like when our parents are around, we swear too. So like – That guy drinks I, a lot of right. soda. Yeah, and, and, and also like I was of the you know Gen, Gen X, like you know a lot of us got knocked around by parental figures. So it's like a lot of the behavior I look at that is out of bounds for me as a parent now – I still experienced as oh, a kid God. when I saw it. So that yeah. movie did not strike me as particularly shocking yeah. or unusual. Some of the racial language was, to be honest. Otherwise, it was like, it was pretty much pretty much locked in. I never got so upset after a game. I stripped my underwear and jumped into a tree. I will say well, that. Well, you know, I, I'm thinking, Bill. <laughs> I, I'm sure I did not see this in the theater. It was rated PG, though. Which, yeah, that's what you got away with in the '70s. Which, which is PG. yeah, there was which is no practically PG a children's movie. No boobs. Right. This is PG. revise it to an R now. I mean, like yeah, I, I, yeah, I know. I think yes. I think it is now considered a PG thirteen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I saw it maybe eight, and that makes me think that I must have seen yeah. a television version, which surely was boulderized. I mean, oh my god, it I mean, must have been. I don't. I don't. I don't. I, it's I don't probably know two that, minutes long. Yeah, I don't know that I had ever seen the full version yeah. of the movie until yeah. I rewatched it yeah. this week, and, yeah. and 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 I seriously was yeah. all, while for real recognizing a lot of elements of my childhood well well, but when i rewatched it chris the problem i had was my team very much had a kelly leak on it right and i knew him that version of kelly leak went on to commit a crime so heinous he's now serving he's now serving life in prison so it's like yeah this one did too though yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) fair enough fair enough yeah he became rorschach (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 uh, the Kelly Leak I knew did something did things worse than Rorschach ever did, uh, and Ouch. I'm just gonna leave, I'm gonna leave it at that. It was How about Freddy Krueger? <laughs> not quite Freddy Krueger, but but um, yeah, not quite Freddy Krueger, but still about as bad as it can get. You know, like I remember, like I must have been young enough when I saw this movie to just be a little bit intimidated by Kelly Leak, and and. I rewatched it recently and I'm like, Scary. oh my God, like I was intimidated by that little twerp. That's hilarious. <laughs> I know. You know? I would have killed that little punk, honestly. <laughs> he, he reminded me of a kid in my neighborhood for real. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And the kid oh, yeah, with yeah. the dirt bike, you know? The kid with the dirt bike, right. exactly. <laughs> it's always a kid with the dirt bike, man. Look, it's Huffy Leak. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Okay. So here we go. So now we're going to move on to round two. So an excellent, excellent first Thunder round. You know, a thousand points to everybody for playing. All right. So round two. Tom, what have you got for us? Uh, there's like three movies tied for second. Um, <laughs> <sighs> all right. I'm going to do Rudy. I have to. Oh. Slow um, Charles you know, like, Dutton clap I, for I you. I should hate this movie. Like, I really should. <laughs> but 
because it, it's like it's adversity porn and i hate adversity porn it's like i get enough adversity <laughs> porn on linkedin i don't need like bringing the ring back to notre dame too. is always hard the, the book of job with football <laughs> it's like it's, the plot the playbook is so of job you know you got this kid who's like it's his lifelong dream and it's his family's dream like go play you know football for notre dame and like the kid is just like he's destined for a job in the steel mills but, you know, he just like through just sheer indomitable will ends up like, you know, playing not only playing in a game at Notre Dame, like the last game of the season, but, yeah. you know, uh, excelling and being carried off the field for his yeah. efforts. But, uh, you know, the, the thing that gets me in this movie, my moment of truth is there's a whole period of time where like he can't even get into Notre Dame because he doesn't have the grades. So he goes to like this two-year school or something tries to transfer in and it is like a series of like nope 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 and then he gets the letter that says he's in and like if you do not cry at that moment you are not a human being that is my moment of truth for this movie when he gets the letter and he starts crying i start crying and be like i oh, know you're crying it's happy hogan helps a great him. moment yeah. <laughs> say it again joe i missed you i said happy hogan helps him right like <laughs> true true yeah even though it's 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 such a predictable thing that i otherwise should hate like i just i, I love you know the emotional roller coaster i just do yeah <laughs> i think it's a great sport yeah, movie. i i i feel you tom like i i i've watched movies this week that i was i i, I felt absolute contempt for <laughs> <laughs> and yet the and yet <laughs> you're crying. I'm, I just I was my eye. <laughs> I was imagining Chris looking at the master list of movies and just sneering at them the entire time. Like, <laughs> oh man, <laughs> what? What? Stupid movie. Deletes it. I hate it. <laughs> Made me cry. No, 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 Rudy. So here's the thing. Rudy is a movie that I've never seen. On principle, <laughs> no, no, no. You know, it's funny. It's like, I, look, I, I'm a lacrimose individual. I love a good tearjerker. I really do. I just never got around to it. I guess. Uh, I know. You know, I never was in a point where I saw it in the theater. <sighs> yeah, and and I guess also, you know, there's this whole thing about like the Notre Dame myth. Yeah. I, you know, there's a time I was into professional football, but I never ever got into college football. Like, I just don't understand college football. It doesn't speak to me. I don't understand the language. I don't understand the myth of a place like Notre Dame. And so I just don't, so I knew that, like there was this inherent circuit breaker for me for this movie. Cause I, there's, a, there's an aspect of, I don't understand the stakes here. Uh, Cause they don't make any sense to me at all on a personal level, you know? And, uh, and, it, and it, I grew up, I grew up Protestant and you know, the Catholics are always trying to get you. <laughs> I grew up Catholic and I can attest that's true. <laughs> we have ways, Crenshaw. And believe me, we haven't forgotten about you. <laughs> One of the, th I think, I think you know, and and Rudy, by the way, is not dissimilar from Hoosiers in the sense that it it paints by numbers in very much the same yeah, way. Yeah, it does. Uh, yeah, it, uh, yeah. You know, it, it hits the same uh, pressure points uh, all the way along, yeah. and. If you're if you're sitting there and you're taking a class on how do I do this, yeah, they're not they're not that far apart. Where Rudy rubs me in a funny way is the same way Forrest Gump rub, rubs me in a run in a mm. funny way that I don't enjoy, which is oh, if the dopey guy just means well and tries hard, everything's gonna work out. I'm like, well, that's not 
true. That's not real. That's not yeah. real. And yeah. so I think I think sometimes I Rudy's I, a jump, man. What's that? <laughs> Your problem is that Rudy's a Ru- chump. Rudy's a chump. And he didn't get he what is... a chump deserves. <laughs> <laughs> he, he is a chump, but the thing is like chump the, life the... equals chump fate. <laughs> uh my suspension of disbelief gets a bit threadbare. But you. that being said, I watch it, and at the end of it, I'm you know it gets dusty in the room. There's no question. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, I, I, I will say he was an actual me too. human being who did these. Yeah, but if they gave Sean Astin the porn yeah. stash, but, sort of. If they gave yeah. if they gave Sam Gamgee the porn stash, then I could buy yeah. it, like no, the but, real but, Rudy had. Yeah, but but Tom brings up a good point though. So when we were looking at the movies we wanted to talk about for this episode, there's we went with with you know basically fictional sports movies but within them there are those that are made from whole cloth and those that are loosely based on actual events and then those are inspired by actual events right well like hoosiers is inspired by actual events right with rudy it's like you can joke on all this but the reality is that there's a guy who did this he 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 walked this path you know and you gotta you gotta respect that you know so yeah um, but but hoosiers was based on actual events very loosely because that team was considered a powerhouse for that season yeah, so, I mean they they, yeah. they were actually expected yeah. to do well. For me, I have to give respect to Rudy because if nothing else, it has given us the absolutely eternal animated you know gift meme of Charles Dutton doing the slow clap whenever you want to express you know you know <laughs> in, impressed or you know the gloves something like yeah with the glove clap 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 you're like okay that's a good I, one. I, I thought that was from Better Off Dead. No, no, no. That's from Rudy. <laughs> yeah, from Better Off Dead. Shame. Both be away a perfectly well, good white boy. No, why did I not consider that one? Damn. Getting sucked. <laughs> not a sports movie, Chris. Not a, a sports it movie. It is. Skiing's a sport. Okay. I'll allow it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll allow uh, Anyway. Oh, I, I I just made a decision, y'all. Okay. Right, yeah. So, well, that's great. You're Chris, pay. So, Chris, you're up. Round two. What yeah. have you got for us? All right. That's not the time for the decision. But uh, I want to talk about Slapshot. Oh, oh man so um thank you i was hoping somebody would bring this movie up i love it it's not a normal sports movie it, you know <laughs> you know what it's like not a normal it's movie like, do you remember so like, balls yes yeah. it is where, like where, <laughs> where bill murray plays a camp counselor it, it's like that it's like this yeah. it's a hijinks movie but <laughs> but it's but it's but it's dirty it is gritty it's and grimy and, grimy and nasty if ever Nasty. there's a if ever there's a movie that shouldn't be produced from Smellovision, it's Slapshot. <laughs> yeah. So so Paul Newman plays this like you know aging minor league hockey pro, kind of like you know a Bull Durham for hockey. He's a player manager of of this team in, in uh, like a small town New York. Its plant is about to go under, and that means the team is going to go under. Paul Newman, who I gotta tell y'all, puts out really strong my dad vibes. In this movie. Okay. All right. Which will tell you something about my dad. Um, although I, I did never see my dad like in a matching leather pants and coat combo. Um, <laughs> so there's, yeah, I got that going for me, which is nice. <laughs> he puts out the story that some retirement community in Florida full of snowbirds uh, wants to buy the team. And he brings in these three <laughs> just guileless innocents. The Hanson brothers as players. You think they're goons, but they're not. Not exactly. Yeah. The momentum builds, and it's like got this 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 whole like sports movie arc, but the whole team are actually victims of of, of Reggie, the Paul Newman's character. You know, like he's deceiving everybody, and and the person he actually 
does something good for is the owner of the team who couldn't give less of a crap about them. Yeah. There are no real good guys in this movie, which is really weird for a sports flick, right? I mean, yeah. you know, except maybe but, but the not, hands. But not weird for a 70s America flick, though. So. Uh, right, yeah. 70s America, there were no moral, good guys, right? relativism for the win. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah for I mean, sure. Ahern was, was a, a relatively good guy. Killer was if you think he's the victim of von Neumann, which i do uh, and the hansons are goons but only when they're told to be i mean they're just yeah they're, yeah, they're, like they're just there to goonish. race their freaking race cars and yeah you know <laughs> but <laughs> uh, oh and michael michael Ontkeen as Braden, who is the the dude who gets his moment at the very end he he always resists the goonery that paul newman's character pushes that dude is the 70s ryan reynolds Mm-hmm. I was getting uh, like the whole way through. I was like, Ryan Reynolds ought to be playing this mo- this role. It, it yeah. was it's so him. This is widely considered to be the the best hockey movie ever made, or like it it always gets to the top of the list. And I think it's interesting how much this movie routinely outperforms. Uh, miracle, <laughs> so it's like it's like a favorite hockey movie, like because right. it speaks more to the truth of hockey than Miracle ever does. To be perfectly frank with you, and as a kid growing up in the seventies in Easton, Pennsylvania. Um, where the Flyers were an hour, you know, an hour down the road, and they were our team, and it was during the era of the Broad Street Bullies, helmeted, toothless brawlers playing. Slapshot was like it came, it landed hard. <laughs> like, yeah. It was like, oh yeah, it spoke to people. It just gets that depressed, oh eff it kind of, you know, gray space that just occupates so much of the seventies, you know. Mentality. Yeah, I mean, like, really... like. I, like, it's not clear to me that Reggie ever meaningfully redeems himself in this movie. Like, like the no. best thing, the best thing that he does do is not sleep with Lily, Braden's wife. That's <laughs> yeah. that's like the extent of his victory, kind of. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. He he somehow doesn't become a complete bastard, and that's that's the best victory he can, he can expect. And, for. Yeah, and the end is so weird, you know. Like the town's going nuts, but nothing's changed. No. They're losing all their jobs. I mean, like yeah. it, it's really oddly dark. Like you say, it's the it's the 70th sports film. It was imaginable. it was a it's a really good time. Other than Bad of, News Bears, well, of, I, well, maybe right. Bad News Bears hits a little bit of it, but Slapshot way more so. Is like a post Vietnam pre Reagan era, like kind of you know America in Malaise kind <laughs> Allentown, of. Allentown, know, yeah, 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 sports right. movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> for real, <laughs> for for real, yes. Well done, Chris. That was yeah. No, that's that that's that's crazy accurate. So, all right, uh, Joe, round two. What have you got for us? Yeah, I'm a big believer that um, there are three categories of sports movies. There's poignant, there's for kids, and then there's just funny. And for me, the funniest sports movie that's ever made is Major League. There it is. <laughs> it makes me laugh, and, and honestly, like. Baseball is such a deep well for sports movies, for both poignant, for kids, all of the categories. Baseball, because Americans, we savor and cherish situations, and there's nothing more situational than baseball, which is like, okay, yeah. bottom of the eighth, two down, runner on first, you know, here's this guy, and we get to, we get to like roll it around in our mouth before it actually happens, and here's the pitch, right? So, so it sets up perfectly for dramatic retelling. The propensity for characters and the ability to go, the third baseman – 
is this guy, you know, and the and the the, the designated hitter is a voodoo worshipping Caribbean <laughs> islander and the I say the, fuck you Joe Boo, I do it myself. I exactly. quote that at least once All a month even time. now. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> All yeah. the time. All the time. It's formulaic. It's mm. oh, here's a team nobody expects to win. We're going to get this ragtag bunch of losers together and oh look, we're dealing with a lot of stuff here. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> it's got it's got the trope that tre- that Ted Lasso plays on so well, which is a an owner that secretly wants to submarine the team. Well, no, when I watched the first Ted Lasso, I turned to my wife and I said, "This is major league. This I think is major league, right?" Yeah. And and yeah, rip right. off pieces of her clothes. So that, is this going to happen? <laughs> but like, my, my, what I love about Major League is you know you get you, obviously you have young Charlie Sheen, yeah, beautifully playing this wild thing character. You know, we wear caps and sleeves at this level, son. But you have Tom Berenger, Tom Berenger, yeah, who out Bull Durham's Kevin Costner's catcher as you know the Crash Davis, you know, you know battle weary Mexican League, been through it all a million times catcher (laughs) character, Jake Taylor in this case, Um, but just it's endlessly quotable. It's it's to me it's it's not unlike Caddyshack in a lot of ways. And it's irreverence and it's, yeah. um, you know, just it, it puts everything on its head. And and Wesley Snipes, I, the amount of quotes that I pull from this on a daily basis, which are like, you know, well, <laughs> look at this fucking guy. I'm not an athlete. I'm a baseball player. There's a reason why baseball player, apparently base, like pro baseball players themselves, this is their favorite baseball movie. Oh, it has to be. Oh, it, no this this be. speaks so loudly to them. And again, it's like there's this and then there's The Natural. Two movies completely apart, but like the baseball players that gravitated this one. For different reasons. For different because reasons, they hit different yeah. categories. But yeah. the, the line I, I use in my moment from this movie is, I think this guy here is dead. <laughs> well, cross him off the list. I have said that. I don't know how many times... <laughs> That is yeah, <laughs> this movie was so unexpectedly funny. We just went there. Oh, we, went, oh we saw us in the God, theater, so just on a lark, and we were just like laughing our heads off the whole oh time. We we're like, that was like it's way almost funny. A Zazz movie. Bob like, Uecker, almost it right? starts with that. Bob Uecker had no business being as funny as he was in this. No, just a bit outside. Just a bit outside. He pour, I like the little detail of he shows up and he's pouring whiskey in his drink and then takes a little drop of it and puts it behind his ear like cologne. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's my favorite. He's going through the post game sponsors. And he's yeah. like brought to you by. Ah, who cares? Nobody's listening. Like it's, uh, Bob, so you, and you know Bob Euchre was drawing on the well of experience there. That was like so. Oh yeah, practically documentary. Games for God's sake! Holy cow, Euchre was killing me in that movie. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, he's so good. Oh man, I'm so glad one of you guys brought up Major League. Because honestly, it's like this, like it's such a great movie, and it's not. You know what? It's not a really good movie. Like when you when, like, I watched it again. Not and like, exactly. It's kind of cheesy in many ways. It's very endemic it's of like cheesy. the late '80s and that sort of stuff. And like you know, it does what it's meant to do. Like it does what it says in the tin, and it just it just nailed it. It's a super. It's just a super funny movie. Really, in really all the it. years I've coached baseball. Whenever I had a a kid on the mound who was in a tight spot, I would literally say, forget the curveball, Ricky, give him the heater. And the kid would look at me like, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) By the way, I have to give give a shout out. As a lifelong wearer of glasses, I just love when Charlie Sheen shows up with his freaking 
Big glasses, big orange glasses. Big chonky glasses. <laughs> big chonky glasses. And then he shows up with the black ones with the skull and the bridge. I'm like, wow, that that's I love that. Like it's just the wild thing special. Right so, yeah. Yeah, wherever the tape should go, exactly. He puts a skull there, like, here we go. Watch this. No, Major League is a good movie. I love the movie. Here's I love where it. I think of your contract. Yeah. When Bob Euchre says he leads the league in most offensive categories, including nose hair. Like, I, I cry <laughs> when he says that. It's, just, it's so good. Was so Bob Euchre that funny? Like, he wasn't funny in anything else. Like, he did other, other than the Miller Light ads. <sighs> yeah, no, I must, we must be in the front row. I, I, I really, I honestly, I really kind of wonder how much of that was ad libbed and how much of that was scripted. Like, you know, there's definitely some that was ad libbed. There, 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 there had, there had to have been. You know, but I would just love to see the B roll on that because it couldn't he, be that funny if it weren't ad libbed, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was just just on fire the whole movie. Like, every time he came on, it was so, it's so good. And you know, kind of set this great standard for like a component in a lot of great sports movies where it's like whoever's commentating on the action is kind of like their own sort of thing, and you get in them for their own reasons and. Euchre just nails that so well in this movie. It's just it's like he comes on like, please, whatever you have to say, I'm here for it. Just give me it, <laughs> you know, so. All right. My pick for this round is going to be my first of a number of unorthodox picks. Um, and is, a sports, <laughs> is a sports movie by the thinnest of, of margins, I suppose. But to me, it's a sports movie and I freaking love it. It is, in fact, my favorite sports movie of all time. And it's a movie that nobody's ever seen. It's called The Blood of Heroes. It stars Rutger Hauer and Delroy Lindo and... Philip Vincent D'Onofrio, before he got really big, came out in 1989, and it is basically a Mad Max sports movie. Okay, it's a post-apocalyptic. It's the jam. It's, it's the I jam. I watched it today, Bill. Right? Okay, God. right, dude. It's, it's so masterpiece. It's so freaking good. Nobody saw this movie. It's so awesome. I have loved oh this movie. God. I saw this in the theater with like two other people in the and and and, the, and I freaking love this movie forever. The, the basic story is, okay, society is falling. It's, it's post-apocalypse. We don't know how it happened. It doesn't matter, okay? But instead of roving gangs in junked-up vehicles driving around killing each other for gas, instead there's this game. There's this sport called the game. And it's this weird mix of, like, football and lacrosse and rugby, and it's played with a dog skull. It's I think it's like a five-man size, right? And you've got one person on your team who's called the quick, and they're the only person who can actually handle the dog skull. And the quick is supposed to get the dog skull to the other side of the field and put it on a stake, right? Then the game's over, all right? Everybody else, they have names like the slash, the back charge. The point is they're people wearing junkyard armor, okay? Yeah, like tires and stuff. Made out of like tires and rebar and all that. (laughs) And like weird homemade weapons. One person on each team has a weird chain weapon they swing around. And the point is they line up with their counterpart and they just go at it. And then the basic idea is to... To basically to defeat the other guy, your your counterpart on the other team. So then you can go and completely ruin the quick, right? And just like just destroy the quick, and then that way your quick gets to score the game, uh, score score and, and win. And it's like three rounds of a hundred stones. There's some guy, some poor bastard some on the sideline. He just picks up a rock and throws it at a metal gong <laughs> a hundred times, a hundred times, right? Just ding. <laughs> Right, <laughs> hundred stones. It's like any metal it. surface. Yeah, yeah, yeah ex- exactly. Bang. Right, dang, dang. And these people, like, there are no illegal moves here. People are breaking bones. They're tearing ligaments. They're removing eyes. I mean, this movie is complete. I mean, this sport is completely brutal. But thing is, like, there's no war in the society, right? This is like this is this is their entertainment. This is brutal form of entertainment. And the idea is that 
but the people who play this game are called juggers. And this, this, we follow this one group of juggers. They go from dog town to dog town, these little tiny impoverished hamlets in the middle of nowhere. And they sort of play and they earn a little bit of money, get some things to drink get to sleep with a couple of local girls and then they move on right or boys and, and yeah right and there's yeah called... that, that's a big thing though right bill like, the sports is there's women playing the sport oh for sure that's yes a yeah, huge yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah no there's there's no there's no gender roles in the sport which yeah is. but the idea is that there's this group called the league and there are there's still a couple cities left but they're like deeply subterranean and that's where anything left of civilization is you know the cities have their own league and the point is our hero is rucker Hauer, who plays this guy named Sallow, who was once in the league, and basically he screwed up and he got ejected from the cities. And now he's playing out in the hinterlands again, and he's trying to get a team together. He's trying to get good enough so he can actually earn an invitation to go back to the leagues and play once again to show up the league teams in front of the league fathers. Like, I'm Sallow, check me out, F you guys, right? And like all these teams want to go and play in the league. Very few actually get brought in and those who do get brought in are they're like cannon fodder they just get ruined by the league teams we just watch this team as they're just like going along and they're building up their skill they bring on this new quick named kidda who's played by joan chen and she just kind of learns the sport and learns how to do things and learns to live this life and learns what is at stake here they finally get their league game of course and in many ways this is a very traditional sports movie it kind of hits a lot of the same, you know, the same beats that a lot of sports movies does. It just does it in this weird post-apocalyptic scene, which you don't expect for a sports movie. This sort of scene, you expect like gunfire and carnage and mayhem, and it just doesn't give it to you. It's like, no, 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 this is a society that's collapsed, but it still has sport. It's just a really cool movie. And for me, my moment of truth is the very end, which is, you know, I'm not going to tell you how it comes about in case you see it and you want, you want to check it out. Although I will tell you, it's hard to find. If you're looking for it, it's known as The Blood of Heroes in America. It was initially released in Australia as Salute of the Jugger, right? So you can find it that way, that way too. For me, the moment of truth is this moment where this one character goes to another. And if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. This one kid, this one quick's about ready to just go and, you know, score. And this other character stops them and goes, walk slowly and it is the most badass moment of just you know so cool. it's just so cool it's this, it's this really cool moment it's just like it's so badass i just honestly you know i think because i don't particularly go into traditional sports movies a whole lot i just i freaking love this movie with my whole heart i always will i come back to it frequently it's just this weird a post up I think David Webb Peoples did it, who ultimately went on to do, th to do things like The Chronicles of Riddick and whatnot, you know, but it was like his one of his early movies. One it's of the dudes this, in it was in Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, there's a lot of people in it you'll you'll recognize from other places, but it was just uh Chris, I'm so glad you saw it because I was oh expecting to just God. say this and nobody's gonna know what I was talking about, but I love this movie. I loved it, loved it, loved it, Bill. It was really fantastic. The, yes. the, <laughs> what really got me was the like the frank sexuality of it yeah like it wasn't not not like i, I don't mean there's nothing graphic or no, no, or no. classless about it but you know just the, an acknowledgement that look these people are trying to enjoy their lives and 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 they're going to yeah and in a world that's ruined for a lot of these like farmers having one of your kids sleep with the jugger is actually like a way to improve the local gene pool is it yeah. the way it's kind of seen right and, 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 like, it's, it's kind of transactional you know and it's like wow this is a hard life <laughs> you know i, I and, don't know it, it, the, 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 there was so much world building in this movie on yeah. like a zero budget zero budget 
Absolutely zero budget. Yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. really impressive. You know, it was, yeah, yeah, no, for what it what it accomplished, I I freaking love this movie, and I will never stop loving this movie. So, anyway, I had to get that out there before I jumped into more traditional choices. But I knew Joe would be dis- would be disheartened if I didn't bring out a couple <laughs> wacky things from left field. <laughs> All right, here we go, round three. Tom, lead us off. I gotta go for the Sandlot. Oh, my oh, God. You're killing me, Smalls. Killing me, Smalls. <laughs> it just, like, it, it was such a great episode of The Wonder Years. Um, <laughs> 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 like, it's, just, it's one of those, with, this is the kind of baseball that, like, I grew up playing. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Sure, we had Little League, and sure, we all, you know, loved that experience. But, like, we really just lived for, like, the backyard baseball, playing backyard wiffle ball. We played this other yeah. thing called Tiniffle, which was, like, you know, hit a uh, tennis ball with a wiffle ball bat. We, we did, you know, just regular backyard baseball, too. But Hey, hey real quick, how far does a tennis ball go when you hit it with a wiffle ball bat? I'm kind of uh, curious. Over the house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it travels. All right. Especially when we if if you don't break the bat. Forked bats and whatnot. <laughs> Yeah, there's a whole lot of that. But anyway, um, like that was the backyard baseball like I grew up and loved because it didn't have all that, you know, like parental involvement and, and all that stuff. All that you structural know, it, umpire. Such a great, like wholesome movie, you know, that just showcased a lot of like what was going on around them while they like all just focused on baseball. And, you know, this is the 4th of July and the whole subplot with the beast and all that stuff. Yeah. Great stuff. But like my moment of truth for the Sandlot, which I love, is like, when Green Onion starts playing Booker T and the MGs and the kids ride up on the bikes who have like, you know, the, the nice uniforms and everything and the insults are exchanged, you know, Porter is just in rare form and he's going off <laughs> on these kids. And finally, you know, you play ball like a girl and it's like, oh, that is it. It is on tomorrow at our diamond. <laughs> <laughs> and they show up and they just yeah, right? lay them out just yeah. <laughs> totally yeah. just tee off on them like By all bowing day. up yeah. someone's <laughs> going to die for that yeah but yeah oh, it, it was so great because it was just such a, like a mirroring of like my kid experience playing baseball yeah. it's like just hard to uh you know to not feel the nostalgia yeah. at that that was just uh very much a, a thing <laughs> the sandlot's a funny movie because it's one of those movies where it hits in in a zone that both boomers and Gen Xers equally can see themselves in, right? Even though it was set more in like a boomer time frame, the experience was not significantly different. And it's kind of an interesting cross-generational movie. Yeah. That's like one of my father-in-law's favorite movies. And the things he loves about it are the same things I love about it. And they're both draw from our childhoods, which are fairly different. But there's something about that movie is really brilliant. Like it just sort of captures an essence of childhood in a large block of time. That that Matt is still that really resonates in the same way that the Wonder Years does. Yes, or a Christmas story. It feels a lot yeah. like a Christmas yeah. story. It does. Yeah, it does. yeah, it does. totally yeah. does. And like you know, when it came out, we saw it when it came out. Friends my age, we were like, it was almost kind of like a guilty pleasure. We all had to admit to one another, like, well, man, that movie was good. That could have been a freaking Disney movie, but you know, it was awesome. right. Yeah, no, no, it, <laughs> and it came out of nowhere too. Like I, I had no idea that that, that movie yes. was going to be that good. <laughs> yeah, it's a movie that I don't remember there being any buzz around it. It sort of came up and sort of achieved like instant cult status. Yeah, love it. Love that movie. Very good stuff. All right, cool. Chris, what have you got for round three? Well, at least for the moment, I, I feel the need to steer clear of baseball. Are you guys getting the sense that baseball movies are the best sports movies? Yes. Baseball? Yeah. I kind of. Maybe boxing. <laughs> There's a lot of good ones. Boxing's yeah. up there, too. But uh, white men can't jump. 
Oh. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Wow. It's a it's it's a really fantastic movie that it's not just a sports movie. It's a it's a cultural movie. It's, yeah. it's 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 about it's about the the clash of cultures. You know, a white boy Woody Harrelson playing basketball with you know Wesley Snipes, <laughs> Rosie Perez, or the Perez. Uh, <laughs> as the the Puerto Rican yeah. uh, girlfriend. I, it, it it's just got such a sharp, funny, funny script. <laughs> I will never I will never forget the you can't hear Jimi Hendrix scene. <laughs> <laughs> it's just such a it's such a good script it, it you know it's yeah. it's all about you know clashing cultures and identities yeah. and yeah. and values and you know what are we striving for and it's it, it's funny as hell just 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 talked about them funny it's a great flick that jimmy hendrix thing was the perfect thing they could have picked to to clash over i mean because there's so many white people who just feel ownership over hendrix you know like to just yeah. never let it go <laughs> i love it i love it. it was perfectly picked in a way it reminds me of his girl friday which is from 1940 but just in the sense of it has this like rapid fire patter that's so smart and so funny like it kind of challenges the viewer because you got to be on your game you can't laugh too hard yeah. you might you might miss what happens next you know and in a way, it's kind of like a Zazz movie, but just without the screwballness. It's, it's, just, it's just wit after wit after wit, and it's just constantly coming at you. And you got to like just take a breath and just soak it all in. And again, this is, you know, I think we have to say this about once an episode, but honestly, your hosts and guests here, we're all Gen X, you know, white cis guys, right? So we come from a particular range of experience. This movie came at a time when I started to notice, like late 80s, early 90s in particular, when blackness was a thing that was okay to talk about in movies and it was things that you could bring out as a thing that was a positive not as a mere embellishment or as a negative right and so this is this part of a larger cohort of movies that like just sort of like that culture was going to be the you know just just a part of the story and it had to finally get its day it began a long so elevation i guess of of representation um, I think so too. In, in, in movies and that's why i really can't remember this movie most for yeah, the fact that it, it was like it's one of those things that yeah, it's like, guess what, guys? Basketball doesn't belong to any one cohort of people. It just doesn't, you know. And it kinda, feels it like really... a Spike Lee movie, even though it's not. Kind of. Yeah. Well, Spike Lee was getting really big around that time, and so he was kind of directing a I mean. lot of a lot of yeah. cinematic direction, and was was breaking down a bunch of walls and trip. Like, you know, look, I'm going to talk about what I'm going to talk about, and it's like, and audiences responded, and like, okay, you know, no, there's an appetite for this sort of thing. Tell this truth. Tell this story. You know, and well, um, yeah. In addition, Bill, I would say that I don't know. Maybe the first time. I can really remember cinema showing blackness as something white people aspired to or wanted to co-opt or yeah, uh, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. there's something troublesome chef. and there's something problematic yeah. about it, yeah. Yeah. but, but there's also, it, it's also putting blackness in a position of power. Yeah. If, you know what I'm saying? That movie and I think a lot of movies from the very late 80s, really early 90s kind of are just an interesting time capsule in terms of how America was was sort of grasping how it represented its racial realities, right? I think if I showed that movie to my kids, they they wouldn't understand a lot of the context. Like, I don't, I don't understand where this is coming from. It's like, well, <laughs> because you live in a world that white men can't jump help to make. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, yeah. You, you it, know? Was, it was very much a time when there was a gloss on all of it. It was the whole Rodney King. Can't we just all get along? Like 
there was the undercurrent of racial tension and yet what we could represent and what we could what we could display in popular culture was this yeah. sense of of like oh it's okay it's funny it's kind of like you know and, and there wasn't the explosiveness to it that would come later there was yeah it was almost like hanging out with your trumpy uncle at thanksgiving right and we're going to talk about sports <laughs> so that's joe a, that's, a, that's a yeah but, but my 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 if i have a moment of truth in this movie it's not it's not a sports moment at all it's it's uh well it's the aftermath of a sports moment where they beat the the team you know in the street game one of the losing teams this really big guy is just like yeah nah i'm going to my car i'm gonna get my gun i'm gonna shoot all y'all <laughs> <laughs> and it's just such a funny moment <laughs> It has nothing to do with sport, but it kind of defines the movie for me. Yeah, it's it's not about the sport, but it's about the scene. It is about everybody. (laughs) Everybody's catching a hot one. That's it. Knocking over the store so you can pay like the entry fee was pretty damn funny. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great movie. It's a great movie. So, Joe, round round three, what have you got for us? I'm going to stick with funny and I'm going to go to a, a sport that's not even a real sport. And we're going to talk oh, about God. dodgeball. A true Thank you. Yes. Oh, uh, which bold cotton. <laughs> Let's see how it pays off. High I, I five, Chris. <laughs> Here on the Ocho. Here on the Ocho. The Ocho is basically a real thing now, honestly. That's it why is I love the it. shit. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. I, I am so. Oh, grateful the Ocho for it's for real. I mean, <laughs> I remember watching this movie and I was drunk with the possibility of the Ocho. I'm like, there are so many whack ass sports this planet I want to see. <laughs> and then they show like the promo, and it's like guys playing flaming soccer, like, 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 like long tractor polo, two guys is whipping each other with a belt. I'm like, I'm here for all of it. I'm here for all of it. <laughs> You gotta love that ESPN can laugh at itself. I mean, like, yes. it was going right. absolutely. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead, Joe. No, it's all good. This this movie is it still makes me laugh even now. Like there, it's it's very funny, and it it, it, it touches on oh, it hits all the tropes. And this is that example, right? Where either if you're gonna have a great sports movie, it either has to so earnestly and perfectly and deftly hit all the tropes, or it has to skewer all of them. And yeah. It has to be self-aware either way. Yeah. And this is so self-aware that it's funny. Self-aware that like, oh, we're gonna have fun with it, and we're gonna yeah, be stupid, yeah. and we're gonna do the whole thing. You know, we're gonna have William Shatner as as the as the commissioner of dodgeball and Chuck Norris <laughs> on the board and all of this goofy yeah. goofiness. Yeah. What I like about it is it's got Vince Vaughn probably at the apex of his like slouching charisma, like as a poor man's Robert Downey Jr. Right? He's gonna yeah, hyper verbally yeah. kind of just make fun of himself and everybody. Some wedding crashers, yeah. 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 Well, yes, I think I think that's right. I think this probably is junior varsity to wedding crashers. But those these two films are are his, you know, magnum <laughs> opus in that sense. But like it's just it's just funny. It just yeah. cracks me up every single and and then like as it gets to the end of it, you find yourself like you're you're invested in the outcome yeah. of this event. Against all yeah. odds, you care about Bizarrely. what happens. And you're like, they come out in and, their. And their... I really want that that Russian woman to find happiness. Yes. Yeah, well, you know, the unibrow <laughs> needs unibrow. happiness too. She and deserves love. She totally does. But they, they come out when they come out in their in their bondage leather. <laughs> Dominatrix <laughs> harnesses. Yeah. <laughs> 
and they come out to play and the whole place goes quiet and it's like what what are they doing <laughs> it's like it just it so fits in this movie it's so the whole great. thing it's hilarious yeah. alan Rick- tudyk's pirate oh my god, oh my god. you're not a pirate <laughs> <laughs> him and and also rip torn as the really oh irascible patches, patches, patches of land <laughs> he was like, killed by two tons of irony <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you can, you can catch a wrench. a wrench you can you can dodge a wrench you can dodge a ball like what He's oh like, god really? and, and by the way young young rip torn young patches played by Hank Azaria. Uh, Hank Azaria. Right? Which is like, wow, it's hey, a bazooka everybody. to kill an ant. Hey, everybody. It's Patches O'Hulhan. Oh, God. And like, brilliantly and, and like that transatlantic, like, mid-40s newsreel accent. It's so it's so well done. Like it's Howard Stark. Yeah. Oh, my. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. D- dodgeball, just it's it's utterly hilarious. I'm so glad you mentioned it. It really <laughs> is. Honestly. It, it has no right being as funny it as no, it is. No, not at all. And by the way, don't sleep on Ben Stiller in this movie. He's fantastic. Oh, he's a genius. Oh, he's a <laughs> I, I hate Ben Stiller, and by oh, God, he's a genius. Chuck Norris. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's so good in this movie. Think about this for a second. Christine Taylor and his actual Stiller, wife, like, basically got married after this film. Imagine yeah. what it must have been like to like act so like I threw up in my mouth a little bit, like across from me as somebody that really are like dating and interested in. That must have been fun. Yeah, I'm right. I'm bisexual. Yeah. yeah. no dodgeball is just it's just just, uh yeah it was a um (laughs) just at least 50 times funnier than it had any right to be and and just totally took people off guard i i just expected to kind of grimace through it and i was just hollering with laughter it's so so good i showed that to my 13 year old son this summer and like he was in stitches dude you could have killed him what were you thinking yeah that's unsafe gotta grow up sometime yeah (laughs) you'll either you know, they're die laughing, will survive and be a man. <laughs> Here's so. the test, boy. <laughs> exactly. All right. So I'm going to bring things down now to get a little bit more serious from my pick for this round. I'm going to talk about Friday Night Lights, which mm. is a 2004. Didn't we already talk about this? <laughs> we kind of did. Uh, be- <laughs> between between Hoosiers and Varsity Blues, you've already talked about this movie, to be honest with you. I have said in relation to this movie that with Hoosiers, it turns out the only thing that people love more than football in West Texas is basketball in Indiana, right? It's a story about this team in Odessa, Texas, 1988. They made this run for state championships, and this is a team that is absolutely transfixed by football. I mean, this is like even more so than the Hickory in, in the town of Hickory and Hoosiers. There's nothing for miles around. They're in West Texas. It's just nothing but Permian flat, Basin. flat braised. And then they have this like coliseum of football built in the middle of nowhere, you know, and why did they put all this resources into football the movie kind of brilliantly straddles the line between a conventional sports underdog kind of story right um even though the underdog is a team expected to win state right they they still managed to create a pretty convincing underdog story about it but they also keep talking about this hidden cost and this darkness in football that doesn't often get talked about which is just things like you know this absolute religious level mania of this town and their devotion to football. People talk about how much money we spent on the stadium. We should have put it in the school. Well, the stadium's part of the school, right? So that's school spending. And it's like, yeah, that that logic that logic fits. Like I've seen that in my own hometown, honestly. Like I've seen that. There's this whole group of people in town that are like winning state is everything. And you see people who walk around Why with their state rings. Right. The people walk around with their state rings, like, see, I won state. And they're just total losers in life, right? Like like winning state was clearly the best they ever had. And there's this this sub theme of like yeah, no, winning state's the best you're ever going to have in this town, okay? You can either get out or you can, or you can win state 
And that's the best. And then life is a, slow, a long, slow, steady downhill from there. So enjoy it while you can. And it's just this bizarre set of, of values that these people are impressing upon. Just kids. They're just kids playing. I was watching this. I texted the group. I'm like, this is the most effective horror story I've ever watched, right? Like, it's a great football movie. But it, as, a, as a parent, it was horrifying to me. I was like, I was really, you know, having a hard time kind of watching it. But yet... I got drawn into the romance of are they going to win state? And I cared for the team and I wanted them to win, even though like every time you see somebody get tackled in this movie, it's like, and you keep thinking, man, brain damage, right? Like these kids are getting concussed every single hit. Bam, brain damage, bam, brain damage, bam. I mean, and this is in high school. You know, you have all these parents coming down on them and like abusing their children and just browbeating them and just like all my hopes and dreams ride on you getting this thing done. These are children. They don't get to vote yet. They're kids. They're just kids. And they're being put into this role of very serious adult-level responsibility and living up to expectations. But I loved how the, this movie portrayed that and talked about this is a thing. You know, in certain places where sports take on that level, this is what can happen. And it, I thought it was kind of brave of the movie to point that out and also say, and yet, there are things about the sport you're going to love anyway. And you can get into the glory. And it kind of gets into this, like, inherent contradictions to loving football. It it really does. And so I really like how it did that. It didn't, it, it actually acknowledged these things. And I think for me, the moment of truth was this really heartbreaking scene where one of the characters in the, the, the story is a kid named Booby, who's like the all-star, right? He can do it all, right? He's fantastic. He's going to bring him to state. And he gets completely wrecked the first game of the season, right? He goes out when he shouldn't and he gets his knee shattered and he goes back and he tries to play again before he's ready and it's clear he's out for the season and this is his senior year and like all his whole life that he had planned for him is now off the rails because of what happened and there's a scene where he goes to the doctor he goes he goes to the mri and he actually goes back to the school and he cleans out his locker he's accepting that his season's over he's like yeah no, i'm all good he's all swagger he's all you know he's all cheerful and that and he walks out and when he gets to the point where nobody can see him again he starts limping again and he, he hobbles into the car and his, his uncle is there who's been so supportive. This kid just breaks down on his uncle, just sobs with his, I mean, racking sob. And he's like, all I know is football. What am I going to do now? And you see this 18, 17-year-old kid, and his life is falling apart in front of him, and he doesn't know what, know what to do. And I'm like, and it's, just, it's so heartbreaking. Football does that too. Any elite-level sport does, but football especially because football is inherently damaging to its players. You can't play football right. and not get destroyed by it to some degree. And I really thought it was very brave how they talked about that. They talked about the culture that enables it. They talked about why you can be aware of these things and still be drawn into it. And I thought it was a really kind of interesting take on the things. We had concept albums, the episode we did a while back. One of the bands I mentioned was um, Explosions in the Sky. They did the soundtrack yes. for this movie. This is the movie that kind of brought them to stardom. And holy cow man i've listened so i've listened to music from this movie a hundred times before i saw the movie it's such a great soundtrack it's so tonal the way that music makes you feel is the way all these kids are seeing themselves a couple years down the road and it's just the perfect matchup of soundtrack to movie to and just oh god oh, but um man. That's, yeah it was a great it's a great movie my my moment of truth from this movie bill like the thing that broke my heart i almost cried when i saw it like the kid whose dad you know also won you know state and when he's a raging yep. alcoholic and like he just keeps yeah. finding him like passed out all over the place and then yeah finds him on the hood of the car and he, he puts him in the car and he's driving him home and they have like a little argument and he kicks the windows out and then he wings his state championship ring out the window and you're like yeah. oh geez and the kid pulls over and he yeah. starts looking for it and everything yeah. you know he's like really pissed at his dad for being an alcoholic and everything like that 
and you know the next morning like half-ass apologies are being given yeah. and it turns out like you didn't see it it happened off camera but like the kid found the ring and he gave it back and to he him. gave it back oh, to my him god that almost made yeah. me cry yeah oh, that was That's such a, a great illustration of like you know this is how you end up if you put this kind of faith in 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 football and getting you out of you yeah. know wherever <laughs> yeah yeah the thing i love most about friday night lights honestly the show that that spun off the the movie is actually a really there's a lot of good stuff i've the, heard it's really awesome actually show. yeah i've heard um, it as well and i I really yeah, enjoyed it. it um, not my bad. As a guy who played a lot of high school football and in New Hampshire, which is nothing like Texas. Um, right. It, <laughs> it's not even close. But I will say this. There are entire second halves of games I don't remember. As a linebacker and a running back, like yeah. I, I took shots to the head that the only time I've ever seen myself play in some of these games is on film later. Um, I yeah. have a collection of, yeah. of whole halves of it. But at the same – and so there's that evil – part of football which is that it destroys brains and bodies and yet and yet and yet there are people that i played with it's the only sport where if you don't have teammates you can rely on you can get killed you know what i mean like in a lot of ways like it's like you have like as a running back there were guys who were gonna block for me if they don't do their job i could get pasted to the point where my life is over you know what i mean like it's worse with your your quarterback and receivers i think yeah. Uh, yeah, but uh, I'll <laughs> tell you. Well, you know, uh, Americans love to equate sports and war, but never is it more on point than with football. Yeah, I'm there were there was a Russian once who came in uh, a Russian general in the 50s came and watched um football at West Point with with Eisenhower and he said I, I get it. The point is that there are are bears and rabbits and the bears protect the rabbits. As a, as a rabbit, I can tell you there are guys that I played with, guys who I I would never have been friends with, would never Mm -hmm. have spent time with from completely different socioeconomic or educational or avocational interests who to this day I consider brothers because we did it together. And I'm not the kind of guy that Friday Night Lights, you know, like that that kind of mentality doesn't infuse me. Sure. But the game does that to you. If you play it, it infects you that way. And that's what's so invidious about it. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, so. Round four, Tom, what have you got for us? I got to give it to. Um, I know we're on round Yankee four, right? Man, we can't go like, six. I, I got to give it to the Pride <laughs> of the Yankees. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah, the, the story of Lou Gehrig and, uh, you know, it's one of those movies like, you know, you would just see in rotation on like WPIX, you know, to carry the Yankee <laughs> games. At Channel God 11. bless WPIX. The rest of the country just doesn't understand the glory of PIX, okay? PIX, <laughs> Love it. Tom, I'm with you. One million, billion, trillion percent. It's, you know, it's the thing. Like if you Maybe if you you watch cartoons too late, like on Saturday or Sunday, you might see Pride of the Yankees. Um, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I remember it from that era. It's, you know, the film that came out in 42. I mean, Lou Gehrig died in, in summer of 1941. I think uh, right. they had this movie out with Gary Cooper, uh, you know, in 42. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's the life story of Lou Gehrig, who, you know, as you know, uh, you know, ALS and, and it ended his career and yep. killed him at 37. And, you know, for a guy who is just, you know, a hero, a part of murderer's row and, you know, who came from very hum- humble backgrounds and was very humble along the way. It's just a terrific story. And I love it. Yeah. Uh, I, my moment of truth in it though, is like, in this, this almost, every time I watch it, it almost gets me to tears is, um, you know, there's a scene where Ellie, his wife is watching Lou as, you know, he's, his, 
disease is progressing basically like trying to she's looking through a crack in the door watching him try to tie his bow tie and he can't and i'm like oh man it just it just hits you right here and like i know like like, why is it i cry a lot during sports movies when i'm not really a sports (laughs) guy but like that that just it it, it hits so close yeah you you feel your throat closing you're like (laughs) no no not gonna cry (laughs) gonna happen so i watched this for the first time today and uh it's a tearjerker even before he gets to the point where they reveal his disease. This is a masterfully made movie. It really, really is. There, there is so much emotion in it, and yeah. and given when it was made, Tom, maybe you know more than me. Did this have anything to do with the U.S. government's wartime propaganda effort? Because this, this is exactly the kind of thing you package for the 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 troops and and send out to show them on r and r you know like uso or whatever i would imagine yeah i don't know one way or the other but like yeah it just definitely strikes me as something like that yeah it it was aggressively manipulative honestly but but so good at it you will love him yeah yeah you how could you not if you ever loved america you will love this guy also also Teresa wright yeah. she's breathtaking i i did not even know her and she she's breathtaking this movie oh, yeah really yeah. amazing yeah. so awesome all right chris what have you got for this round i i think i'm gonna have to go with bull durham all right um, good choice good choice i love bull durham so much uh kevin costner susan sarandon and uh tim robbins right tim robbins most importantly it, it's one of the most quotable movies I have ever seen in my entire life. I found that I can share it with almost anyone. Like, like it's one of those movies that men and women both love. It's just great. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> so here's my big question to you about Bull Durham, because I've never seen this movie. Here's the reason why, okay? This is my villain origin story on Bull Durham, is that when it came out, I remember being marketed very, very heavily, not as a baseball movie, but as a romantic kind of comedy movie and really trading on Kevin Costner's massive sex appeal at the time. And as a man of, I don't know, 18 or 19, that was not what really what I was into. So I gave this movie a hard pass. And also, I wasn't the biggest baseball fan, so there's nothing in Neither. it to interest me. I just never watched it at the time, and I never felt, as years went by, like I somehow was missing out on the cultural quotient by not seeing it, although I kind of suspect I probably am. So really quick, why should a guy like me go back and watch Bull Durham? This is a movie where the stakes are impossibly low. Uh, it, it's... <laughs> I actually kind of – all right, you're hooking me. I, I love low-stakes contests. I really do. It, it, it's about uh, this, this is an aging... Iron Fist story. <laughs> it, it's an a, Iron it's Fist about, story. <laughs> it's about an aging minor league baseball player who's like about – he's about to break the, you know, the record for minor league home runs, which – not a record you necessarily want um <laughs> and you know he's he he comes to this north carolina town durham i i've driven by the stadium by the way it, it, it looks nothing like in the movie they've rebuilt it it's it looks like a little bitty camden yards now it's a southern story about baseball that's not all about baseball it's about life it's about how baseball is life and those kind of metaphors don't usually land with me because i don't yeah. think life is a sport you know, when Susan Sarandon says it, 
gets a little more credible. I don't know. Somehow. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> she carries weight. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's just so what many funny do you moments. believe in then? <laughs> well Joe, done, Joe. <laughs> Joe, I, I, I can't tell you. <laughs> the novels of Susan Sontag are self-indulgent books. <laughs> um, it's it's a really fun movie. It's got so many moments of of just joy. There's a scene where uh, everybody's got a hangover, or whatever. They don't want to. They don't want to play tomorrow, and they're on the road. Gentlemen, we got ourselves a natural disaster. We got ourselves a natural. Yeah. So Kevin Costner's character, like, just they they break into the ballpark and turn on the sprinklers flood the field and and <laughs> i've kind of halfway been in that position <laughs> like i i've broken into a to a ballpark before and <laughs> bill it's a grown-up version of the bad news bears but okay. but uh like when i saw the scene on, on film i was like ah yeah <laughs> that, that is how it goes down <laughs> This is this is a, a baseball movie that straddles the line between comedy and poignant. It tries really hard to do that. And yeah, like there's some really funny parts, and then there are some parts that really try to say something bigger. Like okay. bigger with a capital B, right? Yes. Like yes. there's attempts, there's attempts at philosophy that come from Costner's Crash Davis character, from Sarandon's character, and some of it hits and some of it doesn't. And no, so, I would say most of it doesn't. Right. I, think, I, I personally think that's the point. And, and I keep these and, people are all idiots. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't know if they're all idiots, but they all they're all trying to be more than they are. Yes. It falls yeah. short. And yeah. I, I agree with you, Chris, that it's uh, it's kind of meta, you know, movies where people watch it and they take it at face value. It's like the Punisher. It's like the cops that like the Punisher logo and think it's badass. They don't yeah. really get it. Yeah, right, right, right. That's the same thing in this movie. Like the people that hear what these characters are saying, like, yeah, that's right. It's like, no, you don't get it. These people are futile. <laughs> they, they're really, they really don't yeah, get it. Yeah, they're, they're, all, they're chasing all the wrong rabbits. rabbits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they don't know what they're looking for. They're just trying to find something, and they think yeah. so. They, they and, come up with something that that gives meaning to the futility yeah. of their of their existence. Got it. And okay. so, if you come at it from which sports does, be, by the way, <laughs> yes. I think it can be enjoyed on two levels. It can be enjoyed on the level of face value of like, this is funny. These people have, you know, kind of a, a, a Zen approach yeah. to what they do, or it can be from outside looking. I'm breathing through saying, my eyelids over here. <laughs> how, how ridiculous they are that they're breathing through their eyelids. Like yeah. Like yeah. Lizard from New Mexico or whatever it is. <laughs> so, well, I'll have to put it on my list for sure. You, you should, you should watch it. Joe, what have you got that for us this round? Yeah, I mean, we've we've talked a lot about football. So I, I was I want I had on my list I had the replacements, which I, I find to be a, a remarkably movie. subversive film. Yeah, for yeah, for is. what it is, as as sort of trope inhabiting as it is, it, it, yeah. it's got some. And I'm not a huge Keanu Reeves fan, but you've got Gene Hackman as a coach, so there you go. Yeah, right. Jerry Maguire, uh, everybody's all American, and probably my favorite football movie, which is Adam Sandler's The Water Boy, which makes me laugh even to this day, as stupid <laughs> and ridiculous as it is. Yeah, but but what I want to talk about um, because we need to is because we haven't gone boxing, is 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 the Rocky series. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was yeah. really counting on somebody else to bring it up. <laughs> yeah, the, the original the original Rocky movie is is cinema, is film. It's brilliant. It really is. Yeah, for sure oh, it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, as much as Stallone wrote it in like I don't know a couple of days in his 
you know, crappy little apartment or whatever. Like it's, it's a remarkable piece of storytelling. Um, yeah. And, I agree. and then you go through Rocky two and Rocky three and it becomes progressively more and more eighties as it goes yeah. along. And then <laughs> you get Rocky four, which is the pinnacle of the 1980s. Like, yeah. Rocky, Rocky four. If somebody asked you like, show me, I have two hours, show me the 1980s. I wouldn't show them a documentary. I wouldn't show them no. any thing, you know, any Tom Brokaw. Oh, you're you know, right on NBC that. Nightly News. I would show them Rocky Four. Rocky Four, backed up by Red Dawn. Those are the only two movies you need. <laughs> they're the same movie. They're the same movie, exactly. Okay. But it doesn't matter. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is no, as, totally as glossily, you know, uh, vapid, and yet still yeah. contains within itself the, like these seeds of understanding ourselves. Yeah. And at the end of it, you find yourself sucked into it as, as narrative. Yeah. And, you know, Bill, you understand as a guy who brought down the Soviet Union playing Spy Hunter that that, that welcome, America. And, and, and game <laughs> can be a stand in for this clash of cultures. Yeah, no, for uh, sure. And clash of ideologies. For sure. And the Ivan Drago, Rocky Balboa, you know, standoff in Rocky Four. He bleeds. He's human. <laughs> yeah, right. If I can, uh, you know, Fucking can change. Yeah, we can all change. Gorbachev, up and clap for him. Like, are yeah. you kidding me? He right. died before he left the building. Like, <laughs> and and let me say this: the first Rocky movie is a boxing movie, and and it, it yeah. seems plausible. Yeah. Rocky Four. These guys are hitting each other with pneumatic hammers. <laughs> Titanic <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like in car accidents. Yeah. <laughs> repeatedly and yet they yeah. keep getting up okay ridiculous yeah. but a thing about america is that we're not a we're not a, a an ethnicity a, a that, subtle like, culture we are not a subtle culture we don't get subtlety not, no we're not we're also not a an ethnicity that is you know down from antiquity of, of understanding of who we've always been we're an invented people sure. Yeah, and so we we create these folk heroes of who we want ourselves to be, right? The Parson yeah. Williams story about George Washington and throwing the silver dollar across the Potomac River, and I cannot tell a lie. We want to be honest and strong and all these things. So here's Rocky, who is he's a folk hero. I'm gonna get the living daylights beat out of me, but I'm gonna keep getting back up again. He's Captain America. Yeah. He's Pecos Bill. He he's Paul Bunyan. There is nothing more Philadelphia than Rocky Balboa getting his ass handed to him. Philadelphia, which rounds as a city, is the dumbest city there ever was. Like, keep getting beat up and keep apparently still being on the map for some reason. And, <laughs> but that's Dude, right. uh, look, I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan. Joe, Joe Pace's opinions but... do not reflect those of this show. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need no death threats. I'm just kidding, man. I'm just kidding. No, I grew up near Philadelphia. Joe, you're completely right. I, I, I hear you, man. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, no, it, no, there's a reason why I won't move there. But yeah, for sure. No, it's, it's, yeah. I'm sorry, but, but go ahead. No, I've said what I have to say about Philadelphia, but the thing about Rocky <laughs> is that let me take you to a place where Sylvester Stallone is a talented screenwriter and yeah. a nuanced actor. Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? I feel like they should have stopped it after Rocky. Like we all would have been better off. I, I'm sorry, the guy who totally yeah. freaking bought like Rocky Four yeah. and was in like Flynn. You know, like, yeah, you know, that, that was the meathead in the audience when that movie. Came out. In Me too. Rocky was this just <laughs> gorgeous, 
movie about you know like being realistic about your goals and yeah. and and you know, to, go to the, the point where they would show it. it to us in school and hold yeah. it up as as yeah. the the thing for that and and you know we we bought into it it was it's just an absolutely gorgeous movie it's funny though like so many years after the fact how much mandela effect there is going on with with the original rocky like if you ask people our age like you know what was the plot of the first rocky movie a lot of people remember it as rocky having won what (laughs) yeah a lot of people a lot of people conflate they conflate rocky one and rocky two right and they remember that strange like it's, it's odd if you remember it that way, you missed the whole point. Yeah. Like <laughs> there was a lot less homoeroticism yeah. in Rocky One. And it was he just wanted to go the distance. It wasn't yeah. about winning, yeah. it was about it was about showing was about that, he showing that he belonged. Yeah, yeah he yes. belonged and, and, and he can take it, you know, and that he deserves the love of Adrian. And and, and there's there's a very touching and cuff and link. I recently saw Rocky Balboa and which was which is the sixth Rocky movie, right? It's not so terrible. It's actually not yeah. terrible. It is highly derivative and it trades way too heavily on montages pulled from from really from the first rocky movie but as a portrait of a fighter whose greatest days are behind him uh, i thought it was actually kind of kind of compelling and it's kind of sad and, and you get it but i will say this though i think that maybe the best boxing cinematography of the entire series is in rocky balboa because because stallone specifically wanted to ratchet back the like the concussive cannon blast of Rocky Four. It's like, okay, you know what? They, like I really went too far. And it's like a lot of like they gave you they gave, they give you a digital scale in that movie. Yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's like like no human can take the punishment in the first round of Rocky Four, let alone the whole thing, right? Like he's just you would have got him just shambling around to jelly, yeah, like, you know. Scientific, right? yeah, exactly, right? Man fought wars in the ring. Yeah, yeah. But 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 Rocky Balboa, the, the boxing scenes are actually really. I just really enjoy them as like a much more realistic kind of approach. Even though it's still movies and Rocky takes an insane amount of punishment. As he's meant to. But it was just interesting, just like just the way it sounds, the way that it feels, the way it was filmed. That was really the boxing scenes really good in that, and I really I really quite enjoyed it way more than I thought it would. One but. of the interesting things about Rocky Balboa and the later Rocky movies is they portray the the cost to rocky yeah. that yeah. he's he's punch drunk like he's messed up like his, yeah. He, yeah there was there was an, an impact on him yeah i feel like brain. that that comes even as early as rocky too though like yeah uh, yeah you know like, yeah. like, like uh, that was always a part of that character like you can't like read the cue cards and the advertisements and like, right. yeah he's just, just by the time they get to rocky meeting. balboa like yeah. he's clearly yeah. altered Effed. by his experience yes yes yeah yeah for sure for sure you know so my choice, I'm going to get do another um, Coffin Obscurity deep cut here, and uh, I'm going to go with just a movie that I, I loved it the moment I saw its trailer, and I saw it, and I'm like, I love this movie with my whole heart, and I can't wait to watch it, and I own it in multiple cool formats. Runnings. Yeah, yeah <laughs> a good call, but wrong. No, this movie is Shaolin Soccer, which is... Yes! Right? <laughs> it's just... <laughs> Shaolin Soccer is off the wall fantastic. It is directed by Stephen Chow, who's just like the Buster Keaton of modern Kung Fu cinema. He did a movie called Kung Fu Hustle, which is required viewing. It's so good. He makes these really great martial arts movies that are also just completely zany and just B-O-N-K-E-R-S, right? This is a story of a bunch of Shaolin monks who get together to play soccer in this wacky Chinese professional soccer league and they use all their kung fu superpowers to just 
rule at soccer. Okay? Like, and the leader is this guy named Iron Leg. He can kick a ball like 400 Iron miles leg. an hour. Yeah, Iron Leg. <laughs> and there's just like, you know, the guy can, like, they can, they can jump like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. They're just like, flying around. And the other team's like, what the hell? You know, and it's just, it's just so, it's so crazy. And it's so just nuts. It has nothing to do with actual soccer. <laughs> Right, it's like it's soccer. It's just this obvious little framework that they hang all this kung fu madness on. But it is just such an incredibly fun movie, and by the end of it, it works enough of that out of its system that they still get a kind of interesting little sports story at the end about the bad guy team is literally called Team Evil, right? <laughs> they go up against Team Evil, and they get the goalie who's just this ugly duckling, and she finally you know figures things out, and she comes on. She comes on. It's just like. It's just, it's always subverting expectations. It's way funnier than it should be. It's just a ton of fun. It's crazy. There's a lot of good soccer movies out there, but Shaolin Soccer is the one I keep coming back to. And I just freaking love Chris, you've seen it. I know. It's a back yeah, the way it mixes sports movie tropes and martial arts tropes. Yeah. It's just, it, it's just enormously entertaining. <laughs> it's so goofy and awesome. It, it is so the goofy way mashup awesome. guy likes mashing up soccer and those tropes with uh it's shocking tropes. i know i know <laughs> <laughs> i know no but it is a perfect mashup of soccer movies and like the the shaw brothers you know chomp chomp kind of you know 70s era hong kong kung fu like it's that that kind of a thing <laughs> it's just so like it's just like i've got to see this now dude it's, just, like, it's, it's so good like like when iron leg is trying to get this one coach to to, to look after me to look after him he's like no no look see i can kick and he takes his can and he goes watch this bam he kicks it straight up and you just watch it go in the atmosphere and this little clean as it just disappears from sight and and like it comes back like when down Team like rockets balloon goes off into the, yeah yeah okay. and it comes down like three scenes later the coach is walking along and sees this can embedded into a brick wall it's like oh there it is you know it's like it's like, it's, it's so great and all these guys like i got all their kung fu power to have like a special application on the soccer pitch it's, it's, it's you know it's like it's like dodgeball the nes game Yes, it is very much like if they made that into a movie, it would be challenge soccer. I completely agree with you, Chris, hundred percent. And and that is and if that won't get you to watch, nothing will. So, challenge soccer, I absolutely adore it. All right, fifth and final round. So we'll have to do this quick, but I think we got one more round left in this. And I know that unfortunately we all leave this with choices we would love to talk about. We just don't have the time. So, Tom, what have you got for us? I've only got two things left on my list, and they both sort of break the rules. Um, you know, because wrestling isn't really a sport, but I did want to recognize the a deuce you say. <laughs> it all depends on what you're talking about, Gre Greco Roman or WWE. Which, which yeah, you well, you know, Mickey Rourke. Um, <laughs> oh, here we go. The wrestler, you know, it's the wrestler a, by Darren Aronofsky. Great, you know, Ooh. dark movie. And uh, the other one I had, which kind of breaks a rule, but I'm going to do it anyway and pay the fine. Uh, you said no <laughs> documentaries, but like there is a sports documentary out there, and we're not going to do a standalone sports documentary episode. You're kidding yourself, but right. you have to watch <laughs> No No, a documentary, which is I've heard about the story this. Of how Doc pitched out of the Pirates, pitched a no hitter, no hit the Padres on LSD, and yeah. it is such a fantastic story. 
particularly the part where you come to understand exactly how somebody takes a hit of LSD at noon on the day, you know, they're supposed to pitch that. (laughs) You're kind of like, how did that happen? They tell you exactly how that happened and it's hilarious. (laughs) So I I don't want to spoil the surprise on that, but you definitely have to see that. Yeah, no, I've heard about Nono and it's it's required viewing. It's on my list. The thing I love about it is that when I think of like crazy drugs, excess baseball, I think of like the 80s Mets, right? Yeah, Um, Strawberry and good, yeah, yeah, like which really, yeah, yeah, which like really probably were like on the outer edge, but like they were surely not unique. There are other teams that had just crazy drug cultures going on, and and I think this is like, I just sort of love how this is going to get to (laughs) the seamy underbelly of (laughs) all the drugs people did in the seventies and eighties, and how they played baseball. Like I'm in for it, man. I'm ready to go. And I have Keith Hernandez's autobiography. It's right over there, but. (laughs) 50 cents at a garage sale. Love it. I'm Keith Hernandez. Excellent. Chris, what have you got for us? I've seen this episode of The Simpsons. Um, Yeah, there's a bunch left, of course. I want to mention Goal, The Dream Begins, because it's, it's one of those rare cases where we get the sports... Well, for people who aren't Yankees fans, one of those rare cases where we get the sports movies about our team it's about like this Mexican kid that gets recruited in Newcastle United. It is a completely by the numbers garbage sports movie, but I love it anyway. But you know what? I'm going with Point Break. Yes, I was hoping Suck somebody it. would do this. <laughs> yes, no. I, I, was I, was the rules. The limits. I oh, love yeah. it. Yes, bring Point us Break's home. Point Break's a Point... great sports movie, man. Actually, it's nothing yeah, else that gives Thor a nickname, right? Yeah. Uh, you know. Kind of Reeves plays, you know, an all-American football player who blew out Johnny his Utah. Johnny Utah. And, what a great and, quarterback name that was, by the way. Come on. Right. <laughs> yeah, he, he joins the FBI uh, and then gets put in this bank robbing task force and and takes up surfing as as a way to go undercover. And it's a dumbass, dumbass movie that has great performances. It's stupid, yeah. sexy, and it's so much fun. Uh, yeah. Point Break is such a good movie, and I'm talking about, of course, the original uh, Keanu Reeves. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Patrick Swayze. Version. Didn't Catherine Bigelow direct that? I believe so. I mean, because she has like a supernatural gift for elevating like subpar material to really awesome movie making. Yeah, you know? yeah. And it's, it's like never have I wanted to surf more than after I watched Point Break. I was like, holy <laughs> cow! And and it's, and it's just it's just yeah, it's just a cool a cool scene. And I remember thinking about that like, is it a sports movie? You know what? Yeah, it is a sports movie. <laughs> it's also a skydiving movie. Right? <laughs> you know? You know, it's all these things. God damn and it's it. got Anthony Kiedis. Yeah, Anthony Kiedis. <laughs> oh, my God. The best. I know. It's, it's so good. It's so good. All right. Joe, what have you got? Uh, a few name checks. We're going to name check um, A League of Their Own, which is a great baseball movie. Oh, uh, so good. Jerry so Maguire, which for all of its warts, is, is has some fun parts of it. Uh, Mystery mm-hmm. Alaska, which is Russell Russell Crowe putting a stamp on a hockey movie, like no stamp I've ever seen an actor put on a movie before. And then the the last, um, the one I actually want to bring up is a bowling movie, Kingpin. Yes! Oh! <laughs> oh! <laughs> which, which some of the isolated moments I've laughed the hardest in my life oh, have come watching God, yes. Kingpin. And it's Don't Bill worry. Murray, it's Dennis Quaid, it is Woody Harrelson. And it is damn hilarious. That movie, oh my god, Joe! Thanks. I, I actually forgot it, even though I saw I saw a gif of uh, of Bill Murray from that movie the other day with his bowling ball. 
<laughs> we don't have a cow. We have a bull. It's just, <laughs> it's so funny. And and it's another it's movie that has no, no right to be that funny. Yeah. It, is, it is unbelievably <laughs> hilarious. And it is... The Amish Mafia. <laughs> Amish Mafia is a thing, y'all. I'm not getting around. <laughs> They're an actual thing. <laughs> They're not to be trifled with. Time to pay the rent. Yeah. <laughs> 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 no. Oh my god, I love that movie. <laughs> it's so good. I just, I just remember the, the scene of like the ball rolling down. There's like a prosthetic arm stuck in the hole. Just, yeah. You all just, thought I was gonna say the Big Lebowski, but no, Kingpin is the best bowling uh, movie. No, I, 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 no, I never would have thought that, but I, I'm kind of stunned you said Kingpin. Honestly, <laughs> I, I, I. I, I I, I'd, I'd have brought you into victory territory, or I'm sorry, an, uh, Anthem, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> the the mir- uh, miracle. miracle. Yeah, miracle. Yeah, miracle. Yeah. So the thing is, a hockey movie I didn't mention is is Happy Gilmore, which is a hockey slash golf movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. For real. The so, price is wrong. The price bitch. is wrong. Bitch. <laughs> exactly. Bob Barker <laughs> with a performance for the ages. God's sake. Yeah. It's also a boxing movie. I Are mean, you too good for your home? <laughs> I love how oh, I had a conversation with my brother-in-law yesterday about how his kids were younger than my kids. He believes they're ready for Happy Happy Gilmore, and I'm like, I might hold off for a couple. Not more so years. sure about that one. You know Do we name- pieces of shit for breakfast? Yeah. I'm not even sure I give him the water boy, buddy. Yeah, right. <laughs> and a water boy. You need like yeah. twelve yeah. before you're ready for that stuff. Anyway, all right, so. My last, so just a name check, a couple of things before I get into my my final one. There's so many. Uh, another really bizarre one. This one called Seven Days in Hell, which is a hilarious t- uh, tennis mockumentary done by HBO Sports, which is a Adam Sandberg and uh, Kit Harrington do oh, this like this. Th- this fictitious riff on the uh, Eisner Mahut 2010 Wimbledon match. It went on for three days. It's basically it's this, this the Wimbledon final match goes on for seven days. It's freaking hilarious. It's awesome. Oh, by the way, Bill, when we're talking about tennis movies, there's uh, Wimbledon, which is Paul Bettany and Kirsten Dunst play a, like a tennis couple in a rom-com. Yeah, I hear it's, it's a good movie. It's right? actually fun. It's yeah, actually uh, fun. Uh, yeah. All right. All right, so the Seven Days in Hell, um, there's Without Limits, which is a great Prefontaine biopic. He was the Michael Phelps of American running in the 1970s. He was just, you know, this guy, and he was just this extraordinary, really Back cool when story. running became a sport. Back when running yeah. became a sport, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> there's a movie called Whip It. Drew Barrymore's directorial debut starring roller, like a roller derby roller derby starring starring Elliot Page it's a movie about roller derby in Austin Texas but it's actually kind of a really interesting metaphor for about coming out in, in many different ways uh, there's The Damned United which is a great soccer movie about the disastrous 44 so day reign of Brian Clough of Leeds United and how it wasn't about him and the team it was about him and the guy who ran the team before him and it's how personal grudge can derail massive things uh, but it's a really it's a really good movie there's Big Fan starring Patton Oswalt, which is this really, it's almost like if Taxi Driver was a sports movie about this extremely pathetic New York Giants fan who wraps himself up entirely in his fandom and it goes, it takes some terrible places, right? It's really, oh, it's really I watched it, that today and oh my It's a God. tough watch, right? It is a tough watch. It's a tough watch. It's a good movie, but it's a tough watch. It's great, and I know people like that, but it's a tough yeah, watch. Yeah, it's a tough watch. If you ever listen to too much sports radio, you know exactly where this movie's landing. <laughs> And then the other one I'll mention is um, is Moneyball, which is uh, a really great, really, really cool baseball movie about uh, – for me, anyway, it was really cool thing about about how a team is managing itself and how they take the statistics – how the Oakland A's take the statistics. It's driven. a great movie about Brad Pitt eating. Yeah, it, it's a, yeah again, it's a Brad Pitt eating movie, right? 
it's not just about baseball though be, I mean, no. because those, those principles that 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 movie is talking about they, Metrics. they they're mm. all over soccer now like like they are soccer they, has well, become sabermetric statistics driven yes but the one i'm gonna i'm actually gonna end on is a motorsports movie uh it's kind of tough on this one uh, george carlin was like <laughs> auto racing isn't a sport <laughs> like riding a bus isn't a sport so why should auto racing be a sport or be fully <laughs> <The> loaded <cars. laughs> yeah. it's like hey he's not wrong ford v ferrari story matt damon christian bale legit. ford motors decided in the 1960s, they were going to win Le Mans. They're going to take the trophy away from the Ferrari dynasty that was running it. GT40. Right, and they used it to be absolutely sexy as hell, GT40, oh. to do it. And it's about how Carroll Shelby and Ken Miles, you know, kind of pull together and they create this car that's basically purpose-designed to beat the Italians at Le Mans, this 24-hour grueling race. And it's just this really cool story about these guys and about this renegade team within a much larger corporate structure trying to get something done that and like the corporate guys just keep coming in and sort of messing with them. But honestly, if you love cars, if you love race cars, especially cars of this era, the last forty minutes of this movie is simply it's just it's pornography. As far <laughs> as like like if you like the lines of like mid sixties racing cars, like the old Ferraris, the old Fords, the old just, and I if mean, you don't, you're dead. If you don't, you're dead inside. But like honestly, these cars look so gorgeous and the racing scenes are so well filmed. I mean, it 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 is just a terrific, you know, and maybe look, maybe I've played too much Gran Turismo. Maybe that's where it's coming from. But uh, honestly, just just watching the cars do their thing in this movie is just an absolute joy to behold. And you start to appreciate the thesis, which is like after a certain – and like actually Enzo Ferrari is known for saying the faster you drive, the easier it is to steer, right? And this movie kind of captured that whole notion of like it's not just driving. It's understanding a machine so well that you can push it to its absolute limit while you're pushing your own body to its limit to achieve something. And it's, it's just really, really cool. It also subverts certain tropes because never – like never will you be less glad to root for a winning team <laughs> than you will right. be in Ford v Ferrari. Just the way it all yeah. turns out, you know. But it's <laughs> but it's just a the big wins you don't care about, the little ones you do care about. It really looks good enough to eat though. That movie is oh man, it looks so good, and uh, I absolutely adore it. So with that, I think we're gonna close down the uh, the thunder rounds and bring us to our final thought. I'm gonna end with this. There's a lot of science about how people's own self-esteem is directly tied to the sports teams with which they identify. In an article that he wrote for the Columbia Journalism Review, Eric Simons noticed how Brazil's 2014 loss to Germany in the World Cup as this moment where Brazil's own sense of self seemed to wobble because of the loss. And while that might seem a bit nuts, deep down, you know, if you ever followed sports or identified, you can kind of understand where that comes from. He wrote, Athletes reflect us and occasionally provide insight into the human condition, and their work is judged by the response to it as much as by its quantitative character. Their work inspires, suggests, provokes. But the science also says that sports speak a different truth to each observer. Each of us puts our own self into the story, incorporates the event and its ups and downs into our own narrative. Sometimes tens of millions of individuals care very much about the same event, and their individual stories collide to create something larger. Whether that collision occurs over Starry Night in the Museum of Modern Art or Michigan football in the Big House, some people thrive on swirls of pure violent energy and some people just like blue. Assigning them a collective narrative, like assigning a collective narrative to a billion soccer fans, obscures 
rather than defines the nature of their passion. And I, I kind of love this take on sports fandom. And I think it does speak truth to how we see ourselves in sports movies a little bit as well. In 2020, when the world locked down because of COVID-19, every major professional sports league on the planet pretty much canceled their seasons and their tournaments. And at a time when people felt like so much else was being taken away from them, to lose their favorite sports, something that people often turn to to forget their troubles for a moment, that seemed a bit too much. But the movies were still there, though. And not surprisingly, during this time, we saw list after list after list of the best sports movies ever made kind of come, you know, make the rounds. And in a time of darkness, we still found a way to celebrate our heroic journeys through adversity, the will to persevere, the struggle to be our best version of ourselves. You know, seeing Jimmy Chitwood sink the winning basket may not be the same as watching LeBron James do it in real life, but it's close, close enough to matter anyway. And unlike the real world of sports and the movies, sometimes close is good enough. This has been Moments of Truth. On behalf of myself, Tom, Chris, and Joe, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Moments of Truth is hosted by Bill Coffin, Chris Crenshaw, Tom Hespos, and Joe Pace. This podcast is edited by Derek Eisenhart. The Moments of Truth theme is a mashup of The Clermont by Flash Fluherty and a little help from a Texas Instruments Speak and Spell. For more Moments of Truth, be sure to subscribe to this show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And for hundreds of additional write-ups of my favorite movies, please visit BillCoffin.com.